Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm your co-host, Chris from Ghana harrington joined by my North by Northeast by Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston. Brandon, how are you today? I'm wonderful, Mookie. I'm, uh, I'm fresh from Canada. I'm here. I'm finally awake. It's like 11 o'clock going on noon on a Sunday morning here. I hope you don't have too much to do, but we've got the, we've got some wellness stuff to talk about. But I, I wrestled in, um, I wrestled for, it sounds weird, right? I wrestled for battle arts last night, which for me is uh, pretty cool growing up, like watching Japanese wrestling tapes. So, but as people might know, though. Uh, so you went all the way to Satyama? Almost. As people might know, so... Yuki Ishikawa moved to Canada, and, and with Santino, they've started this battle arts wrestling school. And For real? Yuki, Sh- Yuki uh, Ishikawa moved to, to Canada? J- just wait to see where the story goes. But uh, So yeah, he, he's there. They, they have the school in Mississauga, Ontario, where they do, I think they do, pro, I've never been there, but I, I take it they do pro wrestling training, and they do other fitness stuff as well, and other grappling stuff. Um so there was sort of a one-off battle art show. This wasn't like one of their typical shows, which I think they run at the school itself, but this was sort of an outside one-off show at a, at a church. And, um, and uh, the guy putting it together uh, knows me, and he booked me on it. With, uh, so I had a tag match with a, a, a Terrell Kenneth, who's a, who's a guy I've talked about powerbombing, powerbombing me really hard. And, uh, but we were, we were tag-teaming this time, and, and there was an improv buckle bomb. But, uh, but anyway, so we, we, had, we had a tag match, and we went out there, and... Uh, Went through the curtain. There's like 30 people there too, so it's, this was really a uh, sort of had an authentic battle arts feel to it in that way. But uh, we we go to the ring and uh, I look out at the crowd. We're heels, and I'm, I'm sort of healing it up. And I look out in the crowd, and you can see like again, there's like 30, 40 people there. But you see in the back row, and I'm like, whoa, Yuki Shikawa is watching my match here. And, and so he was he was there, and I didn't know he was there. He wasn't uh, putting the show together or booking the show or like uh, you know being any sort of authority figure to. Uh, help the show run but i guess he was just there you know watching it because it's a lot of his students i I take it are on that show but anyway it was very cool to uh to see him there i talked to him a little bit afterward too and told him how i grew up watching japanese wrestling tapes and everything and i think i think he liked my match so i was i was marking out quite a bit how how is his his uh english i didn't have a very long conversation with him but I i think he has decent english it might not be perfect yeah, I'm looking here. You can go to battleartswrestling.com, um, not not with an E on battle, and uh, right. you'll see that on Saturday, 
October 28th. I think they're having another show, in fact. So, um, yeah, so they're, they're continuing to wrestle. But, yeah, the trainers there list uh, Santino and uh, uh, Isha. Ishikawa. So that is a that's pretty exciting. You moved there in 2013. I had no idea. So that is a very interesting. And actually, the Daryl Sharma, who's a NXT referee, uh, he used to be a trainer there, and I've I've known him for a number of years. So he's, he's the guy who's the, like refing the uh, the WUK match and like the, the Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate match that they had that was really good on a takeover. He refed that, and you see him refing all the time in NXT. I went here to look at their roster, and uh, the Latin Lover was listed. So I clicked on it, and it's not the same Latin Lover from uh, AAA back in the day. Oh. It, is, it is a different Latin Lover. But, uh, yes. No, that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, the, and uh, so we'll, we'll give a quick plug here to October 28th, the Halloween Spooktacular. Battle Arts Professional Wrestling will be performing from 7 to 10 p.m. It will be a family wrestling show with a prize for the best contest or best, best costume. And uh, if you're in Mississauga, uh, that's – it's funny because, you know, when I go to work in um, uh, Canada, that Mississauga is where I go actually. Oh, okay. I, yeah, yeah. So I am I'm actually familiar with Mississauga. So that is uh, – nice. it's pretty cool. I should, so, should yeah. stop by the battle arts school sometime and get stretched out. Well, I told you. That there, so you got the battle arts and then like across the street from my office is like the fight network. Oh really? Wow. Well, on Google Maps at oh, least. You, you sometimes I walk. Up, yeah. yeah. Sometimes I walk from the hotel to the office if I don't have a car and I'm I'm you know feeling feeling like getting some exercise. So you know it's like a half mile or something. And then I walk by like the Zebra Pen Factory or company and these other like little strip mall things. And one of them is always labeled as Fight Network. And there's a little part of me that's like maybe I should stop and see Ed. Yeah, you should, see, you should uh, go in there and do some journalism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, a lot of journalism this week. You wrote a l- couple articles. Your uh, article about PWG ticket prices got published this week. Yes, it did. I saw. Yep. And um, you had a couple other articles, including one uh, where we got into all about in the, the microchasm of the wrestling media internet was about the nutritionist for Triple H, a guy named Dave Palumbo. That's right. Um, so Dave Palumbo is Triple H's nutritionist, and he did an interview with one Matt Riviera, who I, I take it is a he's a independent pro wrestler, and he's also doing this podcast. And uh, he had Dave Palumbo on, and he kind of grilled him on what kind of supplements. Come on, you know what I mean. What kind of supplements was is Triple H taking to look so great at WrestleMania? And uh, he's a uh, Matt Riviera. He's he he's apparently on the board of directors for the Cauliflower Alley Club. Okay. Uh, he is a, a pro wrestler. He's actually a little bit younger than me and probably a little bit older than you because he's right. 34. Huh. OK. Um, and he's formerly one half of the NWA World Tag Team Champions with Rob Conway, huh. uh, though, as we learned on the Lagana show, he is no longer a tag team champion, even though he it says he had won the title on June 17th, 2017. Uh-huh. Um, I'm sorry, the Heat Seekers did, N- not not uh, not these guys. Oh, okay. but yeah, the linear, but yeah, the linear titles are still out there at least. Well, I mean, the titles are there, but I believe I believe the NWA has has called back all of their titles, and as they said, uh, the only acknowledged title right now is Tim Storms. Right. But anyway, so uh, Dave Palumbo said that uh, W wrestlers are allowed to take hormone replacement there they can go to an htr place and they can get testosterone replacement 100 milligrams a week whatever they prescribe nowadays they can get hcg which is human 
chorionic gandropin. Uh, I probably botched that, but and they can get HGH, which is human growth hormone. And uh, Dave Plumbo said those are acceptable. A lot of wrestlers do do it, and it's not for me to say who's using what, but but they're very minimal doses. So what do we know about Dave Palumbo? Well, he's a, he's a bodybuilder. Um, he was arrested and he did some jail time uh, over selling fake uh, HGH in, I believe it was about 2004. Uh, that, I believe that happened in San Diego. There's an article out there online from the San Diego Tribune that talks about his, his sentencing and so forth. And, and he's a big advocate for steroids and bodybuilding, right? That's what it looks like, yeah. And, uh, Bix did a really good article too on on Deadspin, uh, going into even more depth, where uh, yeah he references that Palumbo is a an advocate for anabolic steroids and HGH and things like that. And in fact, I, I, I enjoyed that um, when you were researching this story, you even pointed out that uh, the HGH gut, as they call it, uh, right. in fact has a nickname in bodybuilding as being called Palumboism. That's right. If you ever see, you know, bodybuilders or even pro wrestlers, you know, yeah, I've, I've I've seen a few of those guys after when I used to wrestle, they would come through and yeah. and uh, they would always have kind of this odd body where then their belly would just stick out in it's this like, weird it's way. Like the, the, the bulging gut, but it has abs. It's like cut, but it's like you know going over the waistline. So anyway, people like some. I remember one guy in particular, a uh, a a gremlin with a dogish face. Um, who I just remember his like belly button was almost like protruding outwards. It was such a like stark thing. Yeah. It's like, yeah, they have a gut, but it's cut. But anyway, people call that roid gut or growth gut or HGH gut, or they just call it Palumboism in tribute to Dave Palumbo because I guess he had just such a fantastic roid gut. You know? Yeah. So that, that, I thought that was really interesting. And so it seems so intriguing that Triple H would be so closely aligned with such a guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, on Although one side, not surprising to be honest, it's not though, right? Because he <laughs> he had a bodybuilding book. He was obsessed yeah. with bodybuilding as a kid. You know, he obviously entered the what was it, Mister New Hampshire contest or something like that. He um, has has clearly been obsessed with with keeping his body in that kind of shape, even into his his forties now, um, and he he wasn't he on the board of directors or the the editor things for like muscle and fitness i believe so yeah yeah so i mean he he's long kind of had it. there was the joke the one year about um not a joke but wasn't there stephanie she gave an interview one time where she said that she got for like triple h for his birthday and she got a a picture of every mr olympia winner yeah. over the last like 40 years she got like a framed photo of all of them that sounds familiar. and then put it up all in his gym or something so they they were always like he has this massive gym yeah. uh, filled with pictures of these guys yeah, and, and Bix notes in the Deadspin article that in uh, when, when Triple H has appeared in features in Muscle and Fitness, you know, they, they take all these pictures of him in the WWE corporate uh, you know, weight training gym, and he's like, you know, doing dumbbell flies, and, and there's Dave Palumbo behind him spotting him. Yeah, and and he also, I think, has a giant gym in his own house or something, because they talk these stories about, like, Palumbo might have to go up to his house at, like, 11 o'clock at night and train him and Stephanie till like, 2 in the morning. Yeah. Well, if you ever see those uh, Twitter posts that they that they make where they're doing they're doing their midnight workouts or their four a.m. workouts or whatever, I I'm guessing that's in their home. Yeah. So Palumbo must live somewhere near them in Stamford uh, at this point in time in his life, I guess. Yeah. So 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 obviously um, this raised a couple eyebrows, right? Because when the wrestling media grabbed a hold of this, people started saying, 
wait a second, are you telling me that a large portion of guys are actually on either TRT, testosterone replacement therapy, or um, some other reason that they're allowed to take HGH? And that caused a lot of other questions uh, from people. And so what was kind of the feedback that that came from this? Well, I think there are a lot of double standards in the W wellness policy, right? We we know from what happened with Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar tested positive for uh, clomiphene when he was going towards his UFC fight, UFC 200 in July 2016. Or he's Which isn't a steroid, but it's is a, a so, masking agent, right? Like an estrogen thing that's used to well, kind cl- of reduce is, like, gyno. Yeah, clomiphene, as I understand it, is something you take as you're coming off a steroid cycle to to reduce things like uh, gynecomastia and, and whatnot. Um, so it, it would... It would but I mean, it's also that he like was coming a le- steroid cycle. Um, it's also like a legitimate drug, isn't it? That like is prescribed to people for other reasons. So, yeah, it's it's used for infertility a lot. Is actually so. I, I I know women that take it for infertility reasons. So like, it's one of these drugs that it's funny that like we talk about it in this sense only, and then you'll be in another completely different aspect of your life, and then people will be talking really? about it that reason. Yeah. So, it's it's one of those drugs that. Um, I would say unlike some of the steroids where, you know, it's used for like chronic wasting disease or AIDS or something like that, clomiphene is one that at least has come up in my day-to-day life before in conversations with people having nothing to do with bodybuilding and wrestling. Or they could be uh, bodybuilders in secret. You don't know. Um, but yeah, it, it, I think it, this is another example of where the W wellness policy, at, at least in uh, – you know, in, in this story, it sounds like, well, maybe it doesn't apply to Triple H. Maybe Triple H is, uh, you know, it could be, we know that Brock Lesnar isn't tested by the W wellness policy and W even told TMZ that it, that, you know, the W wellness policy is only for full-time performers, which corroborates something that Vince McMahon said, I believe in 2007 or 2009 when he, uh, he had, I don't know if it's, if testify is the right verb, but he had. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was t- Testifying under oath uh, for his depositions for the Congress uh, when he was for the House of Representatives when they were right. they he issued. Was, yeah, he was talking to some uh, subcommittee uh, before U.S. Congress, and he said that uh, he had never been tested himself as part of the wellness policy, and it was only for full time performers. He, he was subpoenaed as part of the subcommittee. It wasn't like he was testifying in front of the whole subcommittee. It was his lawyers and kind of like government staffers. Uh, and Jeremy and it was kind right of by dep- his side to snap. Yeah, back. it was kind of like a, a, a deposition type situation. But yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it's it's intriguing because, you know, I, I think one of the biggest question marks I had for a while here is, you know, we don't think The Undertaker is getting annual tests. We don't think Triple H is probably getting annual tests. We don't even think Shane McMahon is probably getting annual tests. Yeah. But Kurt Angle was talking all about how he had to pass all this testing. Right. And there was some dubiousness among people saying, oh, do you really think Kurt Angle has to, you know, adhere to all this drug testing? And he was insisting he did. Now, of course, jumping ahead to the other big story this week, that was a thing where obviously now if they're putting Kurt Angle in the ring, um, maybe just based on his history, they wanted to have a lot more um, safeguards around what his well-being and his, his current medical state was. But uh, that was an interesting guy, which I would have always said, oh, no, he's not really part of the testing now. And then now seeing that they're actually putting him in the ring to wrestle does raise some questions about maybe what level of um, what level of guidance do they give these guys? You know, who is it? Is the part timers completely exempt because it said something like Brock Lesnar's contract does not 
um, include him in testing? Yeah. Or, some, it, or is it something where all part-timers are in a gray area where WWE doesn't normally test you, but if you're not excluded from your contract, you always have that right to um, kind of insist on it? Right. And, and my feeling is that just because we, we can raise questions like the sort of questions questions that you just raised, the W wellness policy is, is so opaque that I think it, 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 it loses a lot of its effectiveness because – we don't know, is Triple H tested? Is Kurt Angle tested? Is, he, is Kurt Angle really tested like he says he is? Is he tested because he's actually at TV every week? And is, and is that the threshold uh, by which they determine that you're a full-timer? And, and, and not just that. It's not just the fact that we don't know who's tested and who's not, but we don't know when people are tested. Like, I can go on the, the USADA site right now, and I can look up how many times Brock Lesnar was tested or any UFC fighter was tested by USADA. But we just so that is the exception. We don't get that from baseball. We don't get that from football. We don't get that from hockey. We don't get that from tennis. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe tennis. They might be under some USADA. Yeah. Well, I, but, I would argue that we should. And, and, if, and if these policies yeah. are, are to be written to honestly protect the wellness and the health of the performers and to protect, I don't know, the integrity of the product and uh, – you know, because W has all these business partners who want to be associated with with a product that is, uh, I don't know, being ethical and caring about the health of its performers. Then, uh, and I don't care whether it whether WWE is a worker or a shoot or not. It's still a competition, as Bill Watts would say, right? It's like it's still a competition because if I'm a wrestler and if and if I'm I'm determined to not use steroids or performance enhancing drugs. If, if I look at look at that guy who's on top of the business or something like that, and I, I look at him, and I even if I think he's on steroids, I'm not sure. And maybe, maybe he's tested, maybe he's not. Maybe he's getting preferential treatment. Uh, even if I think he's on steroids, that motivates me to to take steroids as well to to get to his level. Even if I'm a guy who's like, I'm, I'm not going to take steroids, and I'm just going to work really hard, and I'm going to be determined to do it the right way and beat these guys, even these guys who are on drugs, I'm going to beat them. And even if, and let's say I do that and I work really hard, but I just can't get to that next level. But then I look at this guy and I'm like, maybe he's on steroids and maybe it's something that I need to do as well to get up to that, that level. Even if originally going into the, the industry, I'm really dedicated to being clean. It, the lack of transparency and the, and, the, and the lack of me knowing who's tested and when they're tested creates a yeah. lot of mystery that could perpetuate me to do, to do steroids. So, I mean, a lot of things to unpack here. So, first of all, why why are some of these big companies like uh, NFL, NHL, uh, NBA, why are we not getting the drug results really from that? Well, that's a lot of the player union, you know, effect, right? That the way that they bargained and they agreed to this stuff included a lot of protections for them, I assume. And and that's why, you know, in the last 15 years, the drug testing has gone wildly up. But at the same time, I don't disbelieve that there's still a lot of people who have these kind of loopholes very similar to what we're describing here well, even in the case and of a union and by the way i don't i don't think w wrestlers have union last i checked but even in the case of well, that's why i say what, it's what's, so what's the union's argument what's the union's argument like how is that hurting the players to be public about when they're tested well you you know if you ever see someone someone who's accused of this and they trot out all the excuses just like the ufc guys do yeah. about you know tainted supplements and um false negatives and uh you know everything else that can go under uh, underlying medical conditions that they're getting treated for you know one one thing criticism i had of that that um nfl player brain study that they did where they you know they solicited all the people who had died and then studied the brains and talked about the ct and those people yeah. you know 
know, if you looked, one of the things on there was what percentage of you said that you've done steroids. And it was this enormously tiny percent of NFL players admitting to it. It was like 4% or 5% or something. And I was like, I have a very hard time believing that all of these guys who especially played in the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s where, you know, the drug testing was very lax. that And it, it wasn't was even the, illegal like it is today. Well, it was illegal in the sense of, of you know, you couldn't get prescribed it normally. But yes, uh, there were, a lot of people were uh, – Using it both for legal prescriptions they could get and not. And that's another element I've always thought about with WWE when you look at the injury epidemic um, that I do think that one reason some of the guys were able to kind of get through the 2000s, through the 90s, through the 2000s was that so many of them were on steroids and that did help them bounce back from injuries Mm -hmm. in a way now that maybe even HGH and whatnot does not necessarily help them in those same kind of um, muscle, you know, the same thing. There are a lot of soma. There are a lot of painkillers. There's a lot of other stuff they were taking. And I think we saw the the price of that in the end, which was, you know, then the injury wasn't just a knock you out for a month or two month thing. It was it knocks you out for 15 months for a neck injury. Or it will, you know, you you get so knocked up on somas that you're literally passing out in the hotel lobby and getting fired or dying. Yeah, or so dying at age forty or whatever. Yeah, so I mean, there, there's that element of it too, which is some of this is to take away kind of the. It, it's almost better to have guys get knocked out for three months and not be on the road all the time than it is to have them go for two years, three years straight and then, you know, just really kill and grind their body down and use all these supplements and drugs. Now, with all that said, there's a lot of fans out there who say, I don't care. And there's There's a lot of, I think from an economic perspective, I don't feel that live events is, is such a key piece of their business anymore that they need to, and I know they tour less than they did in the eighties, but I don't think the live events business is so important to W's business today that they need to tour everybody as often as they do. But no, no, I, I think I think we're we're always getting closer and closer to that model that says, you know, what if you had territories and you could either rotate guys to different areas and then their tour radius would be much smaller, which is which would be, you know, a benefit to guys, which is, you know, if you were doing the Northeast, half those guys could be driving to a lot of these shows and be home a lot more or be you do it where it is. You rotate them in and out, and and this goes yeah. again to that other subject we'll talk about, which is that, you know there's a certain freshness can, that shows up when you rotate. Yeah, that's what I would do. I would I would rotate at, at the very least for house shows. Maybe if you want somebody to be on TV year round, okay. But I don't see any reason to make somebody do house shows for twelve months year round. I mean, maybe give them a couple months off a year at least. So let's let's talk a little bit more about why guys can or can't use HGH. So. Um, what happened is when this came out, a lot of people kind of pushed back and said, well, what do you mean guys can be on TRT? And the reality is TRT has been in the WWE drug policy uh, and substance abuse policy since 2013. It's been explicitly mentioned. Um, we know this because WWE does put their drug policy up on their website. Again, I saw a lot of people today, you know, or not today, but this week kind of almost lambasting WWE for not making their policy public. And then Dave Meltzer would be like, no, it's on their corporate website. You can read it. And I was kind of ashamed that so many, you know, wrestling media people themselves didn't just know that already, that you can just click around and read it yourself. It's not hard to find. It's not hidden. It's been published up there since – I mean, it went into effect in, I think, 2006, and it got published up there starting for at least 2008, maybe even earlier than that. Um, But in 2013, July of 2013, using the Wayback Machine, that's when I first see kind of them start making references to it. But in fact, WWE started making references to the fact that there was TUEs in their corporate FAC, 
their FAQ, um, going as far back as um, uh, 2011, I think I found a reference to it. So, in, so what's a TUE? A TUE is a, a therapeutic youth ex, a use exception, mm-hmm. which is usually how then someone gets around saying I need to have test, testosterone replacement therapy is because I have a therapeutic use exception signed by a doctor. And it says that I have such a low testosterone, either because I naturally was born with, with far too little testosterone, which is rare, or I have done something to my body in which a way that it no longer produces testosterone the correct way. And therefore, I need to get artificial testosterone amounts in order for me to balance out what's happening in my body. And uh, that is more common with guys that have, say, abused steroids for many, many years and then cause their their body hormonal cycles to go off. And we learned a lot about this when uh, Chel Sonnen, of course, got famously caught and kind of used every excuse under the book. The, the son to kind of say, here's reasons why, you know, I could be, uh, what, what did he call it? Um, uh, under, underdeveloped gonads or what he had, he had some <laughs> crazy phrase that he used in it to just basically say that, you know, he, he was born this way. And then later he, he more or less admitted that, no, he was abusing, uh, you know, abusing steroids and, and that's why he was caught. But, um, it, it's interesting. And so there was this, this, TRT. And so the idea was when WWE decided to enact this big policy after Eddie Guerrero's death, um, they basically said, all right, some of you guys are already on stuff. And then, of course, when Chris Benoit died, it came out that he had one of these TUEs, that he was taking steroids. And basically, WWE's excuse was that he was on TRT and he had a TUE and therefore he should – that's why he was allowed to do that. So then the question started showing up in their FAQ in October of 2011 – I'm sorry, December of 2011 saying, well, how many people you know, have a TUE? And uh, it said, well, it's less than 4% of our talent has a TUE. And the idea, of course, being guys that were grandfathered in, guys that you know already had TUEs that were in the company, they weren't going to fire them and they weren't going to just cut them off cold turkey and say, you, you know, you can't use this anymore. You can't be part of our company. So the thinking at the time was eventually we're not going to have an, a, a roster full of guys on TUEs because, of course – we would just stop hiring, you know, people that were in that situation and we would just be getting new young athletes and we would have this drug policy and then people would not be abusing drugs and then we wouldn't be back in this situation again. And what was surprising was um, when WWE recently updated their website, as in the last week or so, they updated their website because as of um, May of 22 of 2017, they had the same less than 4% number up on their website. As of this week, they changed it to currently approximately 7% of WWE talent has a TUE. And that, I think, really was a shock to me because that and, means... And that's been, been the impression for me is like these TUEs are supposed to be for... People who are, you know, okay, the business was like it was before. More people were using Kurt steroids. Angle could be on a TUE. I could understand that. He yeah. he came in before this policy started. He obviously did a lot of stuff to his body. And, you know, I could see him wrecking it and needing to have, uh, you know, testosterone replacement therapy in order to get him back to shape. It, it's yeah. not the ideal situation. Maybe he shouldn't be wrestling. But, but Kurt he, Angle isn't enough to make the difference between a 4% and a 7% of W talent are on TUEs. Yeah. So that was a real shocker when you think about how big, when we say WWE talent, are they including NXT? Are they including performance part-timers in there maybe? I don't are know. they including Sting and Goldberg and guys like that that are, you know, ostensibly have a contract with WWE of some sort? 
but may, maybe are not talent in ring talent week to week? Are they including legends contracts? Are they including road agents? Are they including trainers in the performance center? And, you know, these things aren't idle questions because, of course, a guy like Billy Gunn, when he got popped for basically testing in a powerlifting meet uh, for taking it, and I believe his excuse was he's on TRT. You know, that was an example of a guy who you would expect would be counted as a TUE normally. I, I read it when, when they write WWE talent, I read that as people who are under talent contracts. So that would apply, it would apply to every wrestler and would, would apply to people like Kurt Angle, who I would think are under performer contracts, right? I would, I would expect, um, yeah, there's a strong, so that I think it's just a shock to us. And, you know, as we would say, would you really expect, and, and I, I guess that would apply to like, because we know Triple H has a contract and Shane probably has a contract and even Stephanie has a contract. So I guess would, maybe even Vince McMahon has a contract for all we know. Yeah. Um, but to me, you know, I think Dave Meltzer's point was, do you think a company that hires some of the most able-bodied athletes in the world, 7% of them would be in that category of needing testosterone replacement therapy because they're, you know, either have a freak genetic disorder that is causing a hormonal imbalance. They have, you know, come down with a, a terrible disease that has caused a hormonal imbalance or they've abused steroids so much of their life that they can't do this. It's surprising to say the least that so many people – and then especially because it doesn't even sound like a lot of these people are using quote-unquote steroids. They're now actually using you know, human growth hormone and HCG or, or H, yeah, H, uh, is it H, yeah, HCG. Yeah, I got, I got yeah. it wrong many times. It's HCG. Yeah. So it's it's just intriguing that, you know, such a large percentage of people would be there. And essentially they're, you know, Palumbo had to go back and clarify that when I say they can go to HRT hormonal um, replacement therapy places, he was saying it was, quote, WWE accredited endocrinologists, uh, not uh, anti-aging clinics. And of course, that was the famous one was the signature pharmacy bust, which was a big, quote, anti-aging clinic. And then when they were busted for a bunch of baseball players that were using and getting vials of stuff and then boxers came out and then wrestler names came out and all this other stuff happened with the uh, the Times Union in Albany doing a big story on this uh, as one of the big reporters. And then a bunch of wrestler names came out, you know, everyone from Funaki all the way up to Booker T. Uh, and then a bunch of those guys ended up getting suspended because of that list. And so it was this whole thing about, you know, you're not going to even if you have a TUE, you're not going to an accredited TUE place. And so in theory, you know, the names on that list, uh, Rey Mysterio and Booker T and uh, I think Batista might have been on that list. Uh, Randy Orton might have been on that list. Uh, Edge might have been on that list. Um, uh, maybe Shane Helms. I don't remember. I would have to check my. Yeah, my I, I don't think Batista or Randy Orton were. But yeah, Kennedy was was on it just after going on like cable news and talking about and, and basically burying steroids. And then he ended up on the on the uh, on that list. Yeah, so uh, my wellness file. I, there's a, a a post I did in in March of 2014 where I just put all the wellness violations that had ever been publicly reported out there yeah. as of that time. Right. And yeah, the uh, the signature pharmacy list of ten people was Booker T, Charlie Haas, Ch Chavo Guerrero Jr., Chris Masters, Edge Funaki, Gregory Helms, John Morrison, Mr. Kennedy, Snitsky, Umaga, and William Regal. So. Uh, I did not I, I, I did not mean to indicate anyone else that uh, was not counted there, though Ray Mysterio, uh, of course, did test 
positive in 2012 for amphetamines. Randy Orton tested um, positive in 2012 for elevated testosterone due to Dianabol and marijuana. And Ray had been suspended in 2009. And Orton had been suspended – uh, in 2005, possibly for steroids, and in 2006 for unprofessional behavior. And was and in 2000 releasing the the substance that they tested positive for? Was that was that Dave uncovering that fact, or or what? Do you remember? Um, the ones I have from 2011 onwards are much clearer because I believe those are the ones where WWE was very clear. So, like in 2011, Darren Young was quote suspended for smoking synthetic marijuana. And um, in 2012, the amphetamines won. Um, and then the, there's another example of like the opacity that I'm talking about is that we don't know. Maybe they did before, but we don't know. We don't know what Rowan Reigns tested positive for. We don't know what Paige and Alberto Del Rio tested positive for. Or we, even Marie claims it was Adderall, but we don't really know from WWE's I mean, point of view. So, Yeah. So it, it was – Oh, yeah. You know, actually, Orton was listed on the signature pharmacy thing originally as getting shipments of, of Soma, Nandrol, and Stanzanol, as including HGH and steroids. But I believe he gave information at the time showing that he had his TUE, basically, and WWE decided not to suspend him. I, as I recall that, because I found another list where there was 11 people, and then there's some lists where only 10 people got got suspended. So I believe the way it worked was his name came out, but he was able to, quote unquote, clear his name by providing them with the information they requested. Okay. So, um, yeah. So we're, we're, we're diving into a lot of different things here. But, yeah, I think, you know, there's the question about what's the point of the wellness policy. I think the point of the wellness policy is to lead to less people dying under WWE's watch and for them to have a blanket set of rules that they expect people to, to go against. Now, as wrestling oh. always has been, it's an independent company and everybody, you know, you get ahead by doing whatever you can that doesn't get you in trouble. To, to be cynical, I think the, the point of the W wellness policy, and, and this is something that I think, I believe Vince McMahon says in that, uh, in that testimony that he gives to the subcommittee is that it's for, it's for PR, it's for public relations reasons. That's that's the primary reason. I think there is some genuine concern for the, for people's health, but I I believe that Vince McMahon's perspective on PEDs is is you know he, he probably thinks that it's not that big of a deal. And I think one of the things that he gets into in the testimony is that well we don't really know. There's not really any science behind it. I can't really say if steroids are bad for people. So I, I think there's a view held within the company when you're. You know, you got the CEO appearing on Muscle and Fitness and Triple H is on the board for Muscle and Fitness and he's, he's appearing in the magazine. I would guess that these people think that, you know, steroids are, are an okay thing to take and if you take it the right way. Um, and I don't think that they really feel that steroids are a terrible thing for, for your body if you use it in the right way. I, I think they come down much harder on painkiller abuse. I think they care a lot more about that because they've seen so many guys having to go into rehab because they're too drugged up to, you know, basically operate. Right. And I, I do think they do see that as a big yeah. deal. Like, and I, think that's I, I don't think they're heartless. And I think that's manifest. And who's who's the W champion right now? It's a guy who looks like he's got a, a, a mountain on his back. Um, yeah. But I mean, like they, I, I don't want to treat them as being heartless because I do think they actually recognize that they had a big problem with wrestlers who need, had substance abuse problems and needed help. 
and they have actually gone quite a ways to to help a lot of people with that. Right. And yes, it's good for PR because they are a company and they should worry about their PR yeah. because but, it was bad PR for them when think, stuff happened. Yeah, so I think there is some genuine concern, but I think it's it's similar to the way that Chris Benoit is erased from history, but Jimmy Snuka is celebrated because Jimmy Snuka wasn't a wasn't a big mainstream news story, but Chris Benoit was, and that that's that's their main concern. It's not necessarily being good-hearted and moral. It's about what's going to protect this company, make this company look the best. And, and you know, from a, a standpoint here, does Vince McMahon care about drug testing? What I always tell people is he cares about people listening to what he says and doing what he says. So when he got angry at, you know, Davey Boy and Ultimate Warrior back in, was it 91 or 92 and fired them? Yeah. Why? Because they explicitly disobeyed him and that he knew he was under the gun right there for, you know, all the other drug stuff happening. And it pissed him off. And so it does have a lot to do with whether or not the boss feels that you're doing an affront to him or not in the way that you're acting. So I, I do think they were really angry at Roman Reigns for getting popped. Um, I do think for whatever you know, got this, popped for again, we don't know. Yeah. It, at the same time, you know, the fact that they they went back to him when it was done says that, you know, you can take your punishment in a certain way and behave in a certain way. And, and a lot of times they'll forget it. Yeah, Other times they've also that, seemed like they that's that risk tolerance. It's like, well, who? Yeah. If, if Brock Lesnar tests positive for clomiphene over there, we'll, we'll overlook it. If Roman Reigns tests positive, yeah, we'll suspend him like we're supposed to. But we'll put him right back where he's supposed to be. You know, well, if, I think as opposed to and this is a point that Bix raises, I believe, at the end of the Deadspin article, it's like if this had happened to somebody who is a, a less important you know, undercard guy, what would be the consequence then? Absolutely. I mean, there was I, I really think if I recall correctly with the Rey Mysterio drug failure was one where he wasn't even on the road at the time. And so it seemed very much like this was being done in a vindictive way because they were negotiating with him. And this was kind of a way of kind of slapping him on the wrist to complain about, you know, the way that he was negotiating with them. Um, at the same time, you know, we've seen low level guys get, uh, you know, get um, suspended, you know, probably don't remember. But uh, Rodriguez uh, got suspended once, uh, you know, um, ADR's towel man. Uh, yeah. yeah, he got suspended back in like 2014. I think it was uh, 2013. Uh, you know, and people like that. Funaki got suspended. You know, Ricardo, we've seen sorry. low. Yeah, Ricardo we've seen low, is what are we saying? Okay. Yes, thank you. Uh, you know, we've seen low-level guys get popped before, and they don't get fired immediately. But it doesn't do well for them. That usually does end up kind of killing their push, killing their you know mini thing, and then a lot of times they kind of go on to nothing and then disappear. On the flip side, you can take a guy like. Um, there was someone named Ryan Reeves in 2006 who was suspended for 30 days uh, and look – and then he would later come out and become Ryback, of course. And he would even admit when he left the company that he had a TRT while he was working for WWE and that he was able to, quote unquote, pass all the wellness program blood tests and urine tests. He, he and, had a, a TUE to take TRT. Yeah. There you go. And and it's kind of shocking because he was a great example of a guy that you'd look at and say, how in the world is someone who's, you know, looking like that, he'd consider to be a, in natural balance of his his body system here and not violating anything. It seems exceptional at that moment. So, yeah, I, I agree completely that if if, um, you know, the equivalent of Simon Dean's trainer were to come out and talk about it this way, it would not be uh, taken very, very lightly. Right. And we uh, there was an article uh, on Jinder Mahal from ESPN 
where he, I guess there's some speculation about a shoulder injury. And he said, I don't have a shoulder injury, and those are just rumors. I have large traps, and that causes my shoulders to roll forward. So I, when I tape them up, it just pulls my shoulders back, and I start to develop my rear shoulders more. My traps are a bit too strong, so it puts me out of balance. So it's just for, to prevent future injuries. But anyway, I mean, look, this guy's got a muscle imbalance, and he's got, you know, he's got acne all over his back. He's got, he looks like he might be developing gonochomastia. So bunch of red flags there there are flags there are flags i mean i i think it's easy to kind of perpetuate the stereotype that you take drugs when you get big i think these guys have to work out a lot they have to dedicate a lot of time to their fitness and eating and i'm sure jinder mahal has worked very very hard in the gym and, and with his diet to look the way he does but that doesn't mean that there aren't other questions <laughs> Absolutely. And and it will be fascinating to, you know, like I said, I, um, I've got a friend coming into town today. Uh, he competes in kind of natural powerlifting and he's a indie wrestler. And so I, I look forward to kind of talking to him a little bit more about this stuff because this is something that, you know, ravages through the natural powerlifting community is these arguments about, you know, what you can and can't take and what defines you as natural and what is testing as natural. And it's very similar to the bodybuilding community. You know, like there's a lot of debates about what is fair and not fair among those. So um, it's it's interesting, you know, like one guy was telling me how he was trying to do extra work for WWE. And when they tested him, because they did make him go through a test before he could basically get certified to do the work that he came back with elevated liver enzymes. They, they drug tested an extra? Yeah, yeah. Really? You haven't heard about this? No. Oh, no. He said because he wanted to do a, a loop for them. And I think they came back and said, well, we need to see some like medical paperwork to show that were, you're were like A-OK. Were, they, were, the, were the athletic commission regulates wrestling and requires wrestlers to have uh, drug tests or something like that or blood tests? That's a good question. Um, I want to say it was close to D.C. and Virginia. So those aren't states that I'm familiar with doing that for. I, th- I think one of those states. Yeah. I don't think I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I've had a discussion with somebody recently who was looking at doing okay. extra work. I, I, yeah. But 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 it was interesting. They were, he was basically saying you needed to provide WWE with a physical that said you're OK. And during his physical, something came up and he's like, I couldn't do extra work for them because I ended up with elevated liver enzymes. And he's like, I don't you know, I don't take drugs. And so I suddenly had a lot of sympathy for guys, you know, getting caught in this situation because it turned out there was some problem with my liver and, you know, I had to deal with it and then I was OK. And it, but it was kind of scary for a little bit for me for there. And so he was just yeah. going on and on about it. So, I mean, it happens. I mean, like, I've, I've, they, I've done like my routine blood work and I've never taken steroids and i've had elevated liver enzymes for other reasons yeah so i mean there is that element where i do think wwe is creating some of the right culture by creating a greater emphasis on health now i think if you really peel back the onion and say what do they do this for it's because you had guys dying of you know painkiller abuse and you had guys dying of essentially enlarged organs caused by abuse of either steroids or hgh or other things at a young age and so far those deaths have greatly trailed off so something is going better it would appear for the way that they're structuring how how they're working here i don't know if they really care a lot about you know our guys on steroids still getting pushed or not i don't think that's ever been the question i don't think that's ever been the focus yeah, dc does have a very strict uh license system for for wrestlers it looks like it does include uh getting blood tests of some sort yeah 
So that must maybe that's where it was coming from. So yeah. it, it was just interesting to me that I was like, even the guys just showing up to do, you know, a little extra work here and there. And yeah, again, you know, when you're doing that kind of extra work, a lot of times you're not even wrestling. You're, you know, you're the you're the security guard number eight and, right. you know, getting punched once by Brock or something. Right. So. Um, but, yeah, that's that's kind of our 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 thoughts about the Palumbo HRT stuff. It's I think a little shocking that such to me it's it's really shocking that WWE didn't update that number for almost six years yeah. that it was less than four percent. And when they did update it, they almost doubled it. Because right. if you think less than four percent, you know that's like three and a half percent. And what's twice of three and a half percent? It's about seven. That's exactly what they said. And I'll tell you, they had a lot more people on the roster now than they did in 2011. Right. And like, how many people do you think they have under performer contracts right now? Two hundred or so? Yeah, I think Dave was doing the math and guessing 200. And then his whole point was he thought you should actually take out the female talent because they're less likely to have TUEs. I don't know if that's 100 percent true, but I would say probably most of them are 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 probably more more on the diuretic side than they are on the TUE side. Um, and so that might even, you know, shake that number that instead of it being 200 so down like to like 7, 170. Yeah, it's like 7% of 200 is 14. Yeah, and 7% of 170 is more like, you know, uh, 12. Or actually, I'm sorry, it would still be 14, but it would be out of 170, and that would now be more like 8% or 9%. So... Um, you know, that that number of calling it 7% is probably even low because you might be looping in a lot of people that you're not – you would not normally think would have to be looped in. Yeah, and so. just, just as like – as a, a larger moral argument, I like – my emotions want to be like, yeah, steroids are bad. Nobody should ever do steroids, especially in, in wrestling or sports or whatever. Um, but I think about it and like, well, what, what's the risk that they're taking? I guess they're, they're taking a risk with their health. And they're taking a risk with their health. Maybe other people. Well, the muscle aren't. tears. I mean, the the epidemic of muscle tears we had was probably related to the fact that so many of these guys were on steroids because guys were tearing muscles that in ways that only bodybuilders ever tear muscles. And we had a whole bunch of wrestlers doing it. But all, all the quad tears and yeah, whatever. Quad tears, or where they would, you know, where they would say the muscle was ripped from the bone. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it would be very odd that you know, or bicep tears. Yeah. But anyway, as a large moral argument, whether or not steroids are ethical or moral in sports, like I guess I've, I've, there's a side of me that wants to, to say that yeah, that's wrong, nobody should do it. But I, I then I, th I thought about it, and I, I can't. I have a hard time making a distinction between something like PED use and like crazy high spot use, if you will, like people who who jump off of balconies and stuff they're they're taking a risk with their health that i'm not willing to take and and because they're doing that they're kind of upping the competition to me they're making it a little bit harder for me to keep up with them sort of sort of similar to the way that people who you use peds are they're taking a risk with their health that i'm not willing to take you see what i mean and like i i wouldn't i wouldn't make so, I, so i'm then, much more hesitant to make the argument that like darby allen is is doing a bad thing to the wrestling business because he, he climbs up rafters and jumps off, you know? So. But but you could say then that comes down to the regulator then. So in this case, the regulator is WWE. So what does WWE do? It says we have a drug policy that then everyone has to adhere to. We have a high spots policy that everyone has to adhere to. <laughs> they do though, like, right? Like uh, if you not, watch not a Ring a of Honor – Well, but you, they do, right? Because they'll, they'll tell guys don't do that, don't do that. No, and, no blading. You know, but there's no yeah, standards no blading. that too, you know? 
There are, there are, and that's why I'm not not saying that they enforce this standard. And, and but anybody, I mean, would anybody but Shane McMahon be allowed to to take the bumps that he's taken off the off Hell in a Cell? Undertaker probably be about the only guy. Yeah, Undertaker, you know, body just, would explode if he did that. But it would, but yeah. no, it would. But I just mean like another guy of that caliber, some guy that you know people are not going to say no to, and he's going to do what he wants. But yeah, it's yeah. it's exactly that issue, which is it comes down to that that the regulator's job is to say to some guys. You know, you can only do X and they might say, well, I could do so much more now that I'm outside of WWE. And the answer is sure you could. But there was a reason WWE didn't want you to do, you know, that crazy ass eye spot because they were afraid that you would get injured and then you're out for 10 weeks versus on the indie scene. A lot of the guys are like, well, you're not coming back here for another, you know, X number of months. I don't care if you kill yourself. Um, and, and so, so there is that element of, I, I think it goes to that, that the bad guy has to be someone up at the top who's paying the bills. And on the indie scene, there's not as much of a bad guy because there's not a perceived person who has to, you know, make it fair for everyone. I, on the, on, on WWE the scene side, though, when it could start, say you're going to jump off a balcony, for example, I think there is a concern as far as like from a promoter's perspective of, is the venue going to be mad at me and not want me back here because this guy jumped off a balcony or something like that? Yeah. No, I, I don't disagree. So I just mean I, I think sometimes WWE does handcuff guys. Like in fact, but there is an intentionality. Abushi is like banned from the from Budokan Hall or something because he did a moonsault off of something. Probably. I mean, <laughs> it's it's funny because I was listening to um you know I I talk a lot about the FMW podcast that I've been listening to, and at one point they booked um I think Sumo Hall in like ninety or ninety one. I think it was Sumo Hall they booked. And it was this whole thing where like Sumo Hall had no idea who they were. And there really was very little indie wrestling at the time in, in Japan. So for the most part, they just thought they were another company like All Japan or New Japan. And so then when people found out that there could be, you know, fire and barbed wire and whatnot, they basically canceled the booking being like, no, we refuse to have you come to our place and do that. And so it was the whole thing where um, – Either Kurrigan Hall or one of the other big places that they run, they don't even run in the building because they won't allow it because of fire. And so they actually have to run in the parking lot even to this day. And so there's those elements where, yeah, some of these buildings in Japan have been like, no, we think it brings a bad image for us to have X kind of actions happening at our place. So I wouldn't be surprised if Obushi did get in trouble for that. Yeah. Maybe maybe Tiger Mask W, though, is, is okay. That's right. There you go. Maybe that's why well, they, they don't. There hasn't been a wrestling event in Budokan Hall in many years now. So hit me with um what's happening with uh, Neville, what's happening with Nia Jax, what's happening with Jimmy Jacobs. Well, Neville walked out, and we don't we don't know a lot more. I guess the Observer said it looks like he's gone. So, and and Nia Jax, uh, there's all sorts of stories and, and conflicting reports. Well, yeah, l- let's expand a little bit more though on that. That's that's you know kind of vague. So the first question <laughs> yeah. is, uh, you can walk out, but do you get to leave? Right. You're so, do you think WWE? Yeah. Do you think WWE will let him leave? Probably not, because why? It's what? Uh, what benefit is there to them to 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 let him leave? If if they if they release him from his contract, he's going to go to the Indies, and he's probably going to become a he's going to have at least a good shot of becoming a big star in the Indies and helping well, out other all these other promotions that they kind of want to keep under a certain ceiling. Well, you, you could flip it around, though. He is international talent, right? Mm-hmm. So his working visa is based in WWE. So there's always the possibility that if he loses WWE employment, WWE can yank that visa in some way. 
and then put him in a jeopardy situation where then he has to figure out how he can get, you know, the right working papers again to move forward. I don't know enough about how that all works. I would and think I don't if, know he, if, he, if he got friendly with a ring of honor or something, he could make get a new working visa through one of those companies yeah, in, in the future. But I just mean in terms of does it there is a an administrative cost of having international talent, because every time that you do that, you have to basically fill out all the paperwork to say, why am I hiring an international guy to do this and not just getting a local guy? And that's something that, you know, when I go to um, the customs uh, uh, and I ask for you can get the files of any international person who basically is considered to be like in the public interest that was uh, that you can prove has died. You can get their working file from customs, and so like I've or if they were arrested, for, right? Um, arrested probably if you can if you can connect it, you know, in the right way. I all, all I know is that the you know through the federal documents and and freedom of information, like we've gotten John Tenta's file, we've gotten Andre the Giant's file, we got Dino Bravo's file. You know, just various guys who who had it. And you'll see in there that there's all these applications. You know, like I was posting Chris Benoit's one where, you know, there's letters from Ric Flair to the nationalization yeah. people basically saying this guy is one of a kind. You should give him a, a visa so he can come and work for us. And so there is that element where I wonder if Neville would have any issues if he lost his WWE employment with his ability to be in the U.S. and work for U.S. companies for some time because that's not a that's not a turnkey thing. That's not something you can turn around in a day and make it work. We've seen lots of examples where, you know, these indie companies have tried to get visas for guys and then it didn't work out. Wasn't that a big thing at like uh, Dragon Gate a couple of years ago at WrestleMania? I, I'm, I'm not sure. It might yeah, be. I, that I sounds seem- familiar. Yeah, I seem to recall that there's a whole issue where like a whole bunch of guys didn't get their visas done in time and there was all the heat on Gabe or whoever for not getting it all done. So, I I mean, there's that element. So there's an administrative burden to keep a guy like that. There's the leverage you have with the guy, which is basically to say you can quit, but I can prevent you from working in this industry for so long. And then you can, you know, sometimes negotiate some kind of a settlement where either they pay you money to buy your contract out. We've seen that happen years and years and years ago. Davey Boy Smith paid a bunch of money to leave WWF after the uh, and go to WCW in what was probably a very foolhardy thing for him. Um, but we've seen that before where WWE has basically asked a guy to pay their way out. We've seen them hold a guy hostage like they did Rey Mysterio, hostage being a relative term here, but basically saying we we have you under contract for this long and you can't get out until the guy basically shows up with a legal letter and threatens enough. And then we believe um, that Brian, Brian Danielson has asked for his release and hasn't gotten it. Yeah. I mean I remember with Ray the story too was that they were sending him royalty checks and he would refuse to cash them. So he was trying to argue that he wasn't taking money from the company. Um, it, for punk, you know, he walked out and they didn't negotiate a, a leaving until almost six months later. And that comes out in the subpoena, um, stuff about when did he actually terminate his employment with WWE? They put him on a quote leave of absence for like six months. And it wasn't until like June or July of that year that they finally actually gave him a termination notice very quietly. And then you see a couple months after that, I think it's October of that year, that they reassigned the CM Punk rights to him as probably was stipulated in a contract much earlier that he had signed. So, I mean, some of this stuff can take eight to ten months to finish depending on how you know adamant the guy is. On other cases, I think WWE has been happy just to say, hey, your three years are up. You're close. If you want to waive, you know, Austin Aries obviously got away from his contract. I, it sounds like he basically said he didn't want to do it anymore. And WWE said, we're fine. Go away. So it, it can happen. Jimmy Jacobs, you know, got himself fired possibly on purpose. So uh, Neville's going to be an interesting on one. Well, I mean, he 
I, I don't I wouldn't say it was on purpose. I would just say he seemed his interview with the law seems to indicate that he uh, he knew that there would be ramifications of what was happening and it was a mistake on his part that he let it happen. Yeah. But no, I, you're right. I don't think he intentionally said, "Let me." I'm going to go get fired. But I also don't think in the back of his mind he was The impression I got from, that, from the clip from the law that you're, that you're referencing was that he felt the way that he was fired – this is just my speculation – is that he felt that the way that he was fired was um, beneficial to him in terms of making him a bigger star. That's that's a good way of putting it. And so maybe I overstated it when I said he, he got himself fired. But I mean there there was the joke Brian Danielson made immediately after saying, hey, can I post a picture? Or Nick Jackson did, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, like we'll take a picture with you, Brian, if you want. Yeah. So with Neville, I think it's a big question mark whether or not he won't just come back. In I guess the key months. question here is when does his current contract expire? We don't know. Yeah, let's see. Um, I mean, the easiest way is figure out when he basically started showing up on television and look in three-year cycles from that. And a lot of times that seems to be a really good measure for when a guy does. The only challenge is that when someone moves from NXT or Florida up to WWE, sometimes there is a different contract you actually sign because the NXT or the old Florida contract, that developmental contract has different provisions than your actual WWE contract. Like the developmental contract, I believe, covers travel, including hotel, right? whereas your WWE contract doesn't. Hmm. So it's a, it's a different kind of measure. So depending on when they actually show up on television, that can make a difference. Or March 30th, 2015 is his main roster debut. That, that sounds like till, po- post-mania. Wasn't until March of 2015. Wow. Yep. So he, he would probably be about two and a half years from that, right? Yeah. But he's been doing WWE events for the company going all the way back to – let's see here. Looking it up on Cage Match as we talk in real time. Wikipedia tells me he's been signed since July 2012. Yeah. Um, in October of, of 2012, he shows up at an FCW event uh, wrestling a guy named Colin Cassidy, later yeah. known as Big Cass. Mm-hmm. So um, – but it's it's funny because it's October of 2012, and so we're almost exactly five years to that date that now he's um you know almost walking out. So it, it, it it's hard to say you know, and, and sometimes these contracts might even be it's two years and then we can renew for a third, and if we do, it's for this much more or something like that. So yeah. you know, maybe, maybe there's options in the contract that WWE can just pick up. Yeah, is what you're saying. Yeah. So what what really. You know, what really strikes me is I, I just I, I would not be surprised if Neville shows back up in the company. He is as much as he's frustrated, as much as Austin Aries was allowed to get away. I do feel like they were building a lot around Neville yeah. and he really was um, he really was something that they could use. He was a commodity that they were marketing much, much, much more than Austin Aries ever was. Yeah. And, and if it and just Neville's really comes down to and Austin Aries is push, pushing 40. And oh yeah, probably thirty one thirties. Yeah, thirty one. I mean, it's amazing the guy's had such a career. Now, could he go to Japan and you know be working there for a little while and then come back to the U.S.? I could see that. I could, I could see him, you know, basically getting out in that way. But I would be really surprised to see him working for a U.S. based promotion in the next nine months or next three months. How, how would the legalities of it work? Say, say you're somebody like Neville, who's yeah, you know, he's a uh, he's he's from the U.K. And say he goes to wrestle, he's got this contract with WWE, which which probably 
gives WWE global exclusivity with some language in the contract, right? But let's say he, he goes and wrestles in the UK and in Japan. Like, what what legal power does WWE have to stop somebody from wrestling outside of their home country? Well, we're lucky enough to have an, a perfect test case of that called Brock Lesnar 2004. Oh, where Brock Lesnar opts out, right? Tells WWE he doesn't want to work for them anymore. Tells him he wants to go try out for the Vikings. WWE basically says you can try out for the Vikings, but you can't go to UFC and you can't do any wrestling. Then Brock Lesnar goes to Japan and starts wrestling for New Japan. And a whole bunch of legal stuff happens to him where basically there's a big argument about does showing up at a new Japan show and sitting in the crowd, is that considered a violation is wrestling uh, for the IWGP title, a violation. Um, And more or less what happened was they said that it's indefensible, the ability to create a worldwide non-compete for someone. Now in Lesnar's case, it was a real specific non-compete that he had signed to get terminated he had signed language that said, for the next 10 years, I'm not going to do this. And then he immediately went and violated it. So there was the question that basically said, you know, is this enforceable or not? And more or less, the law came down in the U.S. and said, we don't think it's enforceable to, to take away someone's means of livelihood for 10 years worldwide. That's ridiculous, the scope. As a stipulation so, of being released from your contract. Yeah, and, and that someone could sign away those rights and and you could hold them to that. Now – has WWE maybe changed the language that they've used since 2004? Possibly. Um, have they maybe made it more clear that you can't work for this, 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 and this in that kind of a termination notice? Possibly. I, I think it, ultimately they just try not to be in that situation of having a guy that wants to leave and then they they can hold them. You know, Rey Mysterio wanted to leave and they wouldn't let him go. CM Punk wanted to leave and it took a long time to negotiate. So – I think they have this ability now to basically say we can't create a worldwide non-compete, but we can basically use a contract to try to smash you legally in courts. And I guarantee you Neville has a lot less legal resources than Brock Lesnar, Rey Mysterio, or CM Punk had access to. But it's a great question. I mean, it, the the reality is it looks like worldwide like, non-competes like, are not enforceable what if in the said, U.S. I'm, law. I'm going to go back home to the U.K. and I'm just going to wrestle in the U.K. and, and maybe I can get become a regular with new Japan and you can probably make a really good living for yourself that way. What's to stop him from doing that? The, the strength of it would probably only come if WWE wanted to be litigious about it. And I really don't think if he doesn't go work for another U S based promotion, WWE is going to really bat an eye. I think if he wants to go back to dragon gate, they would let him go back to Dragon Gate within reason. And the, the only challenge might be that they might, you know, basically try to, Try to backhand him for some money, you know, basically saying you cost us this much to get you all these working visas and do this and do this and do this. So, you know, what are you giving back to us to make this a fair deal? And then, you know, eventually he'll say, okay, uh, you don't have to pay me, you know, three months salary. And I waive this, you know, I don't, I, I waive my 90 days that you have to pay me normally or something like that. So who knows who knows what that will work out to be. I think ultimately WWE doesn't want to be in the, the system of just burning bridges with young guys. I think they want to, you know, they want to understand why a guy is walking away and what that means to their company. And I don't think Enzo Amore is a hill to die on. So there's that element, which, you know, I'm is, sure it was the last straw. I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff that led up. To I'm that. saying there's a big difference if you're saying you choose Roman Reigns or you choose me. Well, you know what? You're good. You goodbye. Right. 
versus you choose Enzo Amore or you choose me, the company might actually say in a year from now, Enzo Amore is not going to mean anything to us again. So uh, maybe we have a longer future with this guy over here. And if you're not failing drug tests and you don't have a bad attitude, you know, you can be doing a lot. You can last a lot longer with this company than another guy might. But it's all politics, man. You know, Uh, Vince wants what he can't have. So Neville in some ways might have just raised his stock a hundredfold. Yeah, I think you could be a, a real successful star outside of WP. Yeah, I, I think he more than almost anyone else that we're talking about, short of like a Brian Danielson. Yeah, because um, he already has indie cred, if you will. He's already been yeah. there. He worked around the world, different styles. He's he's, he's probably already got, got relationships with promoters. And it's not like he went to WWE and got sizably smaller. Right. And he went so. to WWE, and and now he's far better known. He's, he's, yeah. you know, yeah. And, and he proved in this last year here that he had a lot more skills under his belt that I think a lot of people had been giving him credit for. Cause he was never known as a great promo guy before this. And, uh, you know, he, he did his, his carry his, a brand his work has been fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So and, I, and his I, execution I, in the ring is, uh, as a lot of other people say his execution in the ring is maybe the, among, you know, maybe the best in the world, you know, and he's got a great physique. And, you know, so he's 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 got all those pieces going to him. He is the model of what you'd think an indie wrestler today would look like. Yeah. Uh, what about, about Ni- five foot seven, Ni- too? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the only thing is he's super short. But I mean, like, I seen... the the uh, the ideal of what an indie star looks like. Yeah. Five foot seven. Great shape. Awesome flyer. Yeah. I think I, I saw him live. Um, maybe it was WrestleMania weekend in Miami. And I went to like a a was it a Ring of Honor show or something? I went to some show and I remember seeing him live and I just couldn't believe how enormous, like how jacked he was. It just, it boggled my mind that he could be that jacked and, you know, survive WWE drug testing. Um, but he did. Uh, let's talk Nia Jax. What's happening with her? There's talk that she's on a leave of absence, but I guess she doesn't like the phrase leave of absence. I don't know. She, uh, left raw recently but maybe she didn't leave raw there's conflicting reports from sports illustrated versus what, what dave reported dave uh, Meltzer went and talked to somebody who knows maybe dwayne johnson don't know uh and uh refuted the story uh, told in sports illustrated by justin brasso that it was over money uh, Meltzer said it's not about money it's she just needed some time off which sort of reflects some things that alexa bliss told to the new york post that you know she just needed some time off. I guess they didn't have a lot of plans for her creatively, so she's going home for a couple of weeks, and she's expected to be back on the upcoming international tour, which I believe is next month. So. But I mean, the the thought before this was that she would be either part of this pay per view program or not, right? Uh, TLC, you mean? Yeah, I don't know. Good question. Or Survivor Series? Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I think. It, there would be other cases where we would be really shocked. I I think this is a case. She just started this feud with Alexa bliss several weeks ago, which seems to have been erased from history. And I I do think if we didn't come on the heels of Jimmy Jacobs and Daniel Bryan and Neville, that this would not, this would have been a non-story, right? right? Like it would just would have been Nia. Nia Jax isn't on TV for a couple weeks and nobody's thinking twice about it because guys oftentimes will disappear for a week or two and we don't think too much about it. Now we have all these reasons we've been, you know, we're, we're kind of looking for who's the next guy to, who's the next person who's going to walk. And, um, on top of that, we have the Bray bow Roman situation, which we'll get into in a moment, but we even had uh, Kevin Owens leaving for some reason. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I, I think some of this the story's been uh, magnified because it's coming on the heels of Jimmy Jacobs and Neville. I don't think we would have spent any time even noticing this right. beforehand. Well, there's, now, there's people like me with radical agendas out there who like who are looking for uh, whoa, what's going on here? But I, but, but like seriously, I think um, you look at how W's business is so stable and and the booking is not very good, but the business is stable regardless. I think the way that W is going to hurt itself is not because the fans are going to get it turned off by the creative, but because eventually a lot of the workers are getting turned off by the creative and then the workers decide they just want to go somewhere else or maybe they can even make more money such as Cody, Cody Rhodes did and they can have a more rewarding career both financially and creatively outside of WWE. So like why put up with whatever they're putting up with WWE at, at WWE and uh, as, as we've discussed before, I think there's a, a will among fans and uh, pundits, perhaps including myself, to to see some sort of economic justice or some sort of some something that will force WWE's hand and make them realize they're doing something wrong, at least creatively. And and you know it's hard to get inside the heads of all these people, but you do wonder about some people whose personalities are not maybe built the same as other people. If you're an indie wrestler that's used to kind of grinding through this stuff, you might approach you know the grind of WWE life very different than someone who comes from another industry and is not used to this at all. Mm-hmm. And so there, I think there is something to be said that Jax did not come from a wrestling, you know, indies background. She came from a I'm a cousin of Dwayne Johnson. I'm a model. I'm doing these things. And so it's possible that this is not a lifestyle that, you know, she found appealing and she got burnt out and she doesn't like her creative storylines. And, you know, you can Heath Slater and suck it up and just keep going. Or you can, you know, take your ball and go home and say, I'm just not feeling up to this right now. Right. And the the speculation in the Sports Illustrated note was that she, she has a unique look and she could just go and do indie dates on the weekends and return to modeling and and perhaps uh, have a, a more rewarding time doing that. I would challenge whether or not she would be able to do that many indie dates. I mean, I know that there's that really? that I- idea that there's a big industry out there. But, you know, I just go back to the Bella Twins. They were not tiny when they decided to leave uh, WWE, and they could do almost nothing. Did they try I, to do indie dates? Scenes. They did a little bit. They did a few. Hmm. And I wouldn't say they dedicated their life to oh, it or anything. What, what year was that when they were out of the company? 2007, I want to say. 2008. Okay. Oh, let's see here. I, I, and I don't mean it in the sense that, like, I do think that the indie scene is more yeah, it's a, it's a different world, developed. Yeah. But at the same time, I think for women, it's much, much, much harder to live out there. I'm sorry. That, it was much later. It was 2013 they left. Oh. So, I mean, it was 12 to 13. And, and I get that, like, they're probably going to be – more expensive than Nia Jax and they're going to be more focused on modeling or acting or something else than maybe Nia Jax was. But I, I just think that the, the industry that's out there today is not going to be lucrative for the women in a way that is lucrative for the men, unless it's an act that's built together or unless you're a really in demand woman, you know, like Oscar is not going to have a problem outside of WWE, but, um, Nia Jax, I'm not as sold on the idea that she could just, you know, combine it all and make a living. But at the same time, you know, she's 33. You know, she's getting into this industry late for for relatively speaking. You know, it's tough to be starting this late. And like I say, the grind is not for everybody. And so I can imagine it is demoralizing. And, you know, she has not been necessarily the most praised for her in-ring work and with some injuries that have happened with people that have been in the ring with her. 
you know, there's been people that say that she was brought up too fast even. So I imagine that gets to you too when you feel like, you know, people are blaming you for things on the internet, whether or not it's your actual fault, that uh, it can really hurt you psychologically and begin to to chip away at your exterior. I know I'm doing a lot of, you know, fantasy psychologist here, but uh, I think there's something to it. Yeah, I, I think there there probably is a gap that we're going to see filled in in the years to come, as far as I know. Obviously, there's shimmer and there's shine uh, in the, in the U.S. And there is is it rise in the in the UK um, promotions that are dedicated to being women's wrestling promotions that I think have some room to develop and then probably will as time goes on and technology makes it uh, technology well, we makes saw- it more accessible and women's wrestling continues to improve and people become we- even more accepting of women's wrestling which we're, we're I think we're seeing the beginnings of with. With with you know the the much shoved down your throat women's revolution and and the more recent uh, May Young Classic, but we heard a lot about this during the 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 May Young Classic where they were saying you know we went out and scouted and we discovered there was a more fertile ground than we might have thought there would be, but there wasn't necessarily as many incredible top tier performers that we could get our hands on. Compared to, you know, years and compared to to like the Cruiserweight Classic where you could say they probably could have filled that entire thing again with another round of people. Right. And so I I would also wonder if things like the Mae Young Classic reflect, you know, when you're a, a Nia Jax where suddenly you see this huge influx of other women that WWE is looking at spending money on, spending some time with, beginning to sign, finding international talent. And then you start to see, oh my gosh, I'm, I could get squeezed out here or I could become irrelevant very quickly. And, um, you know, different people make the calculus very differently. Some people would say I need to, you know, take my own time and get right in my head. Some people are going to say, this isn't for me. Some people are going to say, you know, by doing this, I'm going to become a more important person because they're going to, I'm going to force them to invest in me. So it, it's hard to say what that Eve is the one I'm trying to think of in, in the UK. But yeah, go on. But I, I just think coming on the back of May Young Classic, you know, there you could argue there's never been a time when WWE hasn't had more talent at their fingertips that they could begin to, you know, access and grow with. So yeah. it's it's an interesting part of, that, part of that is their own doing. Like I think WWE has up until a few years ago had a different sort of talent philosophy that was more concentrated on on looks and less on wrestling ability, and that's changed over the last few years, and that has influenced the rest of the wrestling world and, and what Triple H would call the indie undercurrent underneath that is producing the wrestlers that they're signing up to NXT and so forth. So anyone looking at the timestamp will be uh, egregiously upset at this point that we have gone more than an hour and we have yet to actually talk about, you know, the probably the biggest story of the month of October, which is the replacements in the TLC pay-per-view uh, due to some unknown illness that has taken Bray Wyatt off of the show, has taken Roman Reigns off of the show, and has caused them to WWE to scramble in the final week to really rebook this thing. So take us through the story. Bray Wyatt, Roman Reigns, JoJo, Bo Dallas seem to have come down with, I don't know, is it viral meningitis, as Justin Labar said, or is it WWE says it's a viral infection, Wrestling Inc. says it's the mumps. Uh, but yeah, Roman Reigns is out of the TLC match. He's out of the Shield reunion match where he's going to take on, where the Shield was going to take on, what was it, Braun Strowman, The Miz, Cesaro, and Sheamus at TLC in a TLC match. And now Kurt Angle is going to probably 
by the time most people listen to this have taken bumps off of ladders and, and through tables and people will be losing their minds. But uh, yeah, this is this is happening miles and, and, and from where before I live. We, you know, yeah, just before we go further, so and Bray Wyatt is out of his match with Finn Balor, where they were supposed to do the Demon versus Sister Abigail in some sort of uh, uh, high school theatrics. But but now we've got AJ Styles and, and Finn Balor going one on one, former former Bullet Club gaijin leaders, whatever you want to say, uh, going one on one in a match that is probably going to be pretty good. So yeah, this is but TLC is happening. Right in your your home uh, Twin Cities, aren't they? My my adopted hometown of the Twin Cities. I live in St. Paul. This is happening in Minneapolis at the Target Center, and uh, in my car right now is a ticket for TLC. Oh, so that's are, are pretty exciting. Are you going? No, uh, <laughs> I uh, received a text message earlier this week from an improviser who's like, "Yeah, I, I told somebody I would go to the show, and uh, I had no idea that this was actually happening this week." And so I need to sell this ticket. And so he's like, hey, do you want to buy the ticket from me? And I said, sure, I'll buy the ticket from you. And so I bought the ticket from him. And um, it was expensive. I will say, you know, it was was more than I was willing to spend by myself normally. So I bought the ticket and then immediately realized I have curling. Uh, You know, last week I told you, uh, you know, uh, sweeping with the enemy did in fact uh, face off against Hot Rocks. And uh, while we did for well on the first end, we did lose on the next five ends. And so we did lose, I think, in the end, uh, five to two. Um, but we had a very good showing. Every every single end was very competitive. And uh, we were constantly you know, going back and forth and back and forth for the lead. Um, on so, each, you, so you have to curl tonight. Yeah, so I have a curling match tonight at the Dakota Curling Club. Well, what time is it? You can't swing both? It's 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., and it's a 30-minute drive south of the cities. Mm -hmm. So literally, I'm booked from 6.30 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. Central Time, Mm -hmm. which is 7.30 to 10.30 Eastern, which is pretty much exactly the entire time of the pay-per-view. You can catch the main event, maybe. Yeah, I I could maybe catch them carrying Kurt Angle out on the stretcher. (laughs) Yeah. you know, or or I could I could catch uh, Kane revealing his mask that he's actually Tom Lawler the entire time. But uh, uh, short of that, no, I don't think I would be able to. So I'm sad. You know, I'm sad to miss something that at the time I was kind of lukewarm on mm-hmm. the the event. Like I thought it would be cool. I, I've seen some cool live matches. I when the Shield wrestled the Wyatt family at a, a Elimination Chamber. Um, Two or three years ago, three or four years ago, maybe even, that was fantastic. Yeah, uh, like, I saw that live. February, that was, February 2014, yeah. yeah. That was a killer match. That was awesome to see live. Okay, that was in Minneapolis. So I, yeah, so I, I've seen some really fun stuff, but it, it was I was sad that I can't go. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give that ticket, though, to my friend who's coming into town this week. So he doesn't have to come and watch curling for three hours because otherwise I was going to set him up with, you know, the WWE network and just sit there outside of the curling ring watching this pay-per-view that's happening 10 miles away. Uh, so I figured what would be better is just, you know, okay. hook him up with some of my friends, send him there to the event and then get a live review from him later on. Oh, cool. So very cool. And yeah, I, so, I, I did a totally non-scientific uh, poll on Twitter asking, are you more interested or less interested in TLC since changes to the card were made in 87%? I voted this morning. Oh, did, oh, did you vote? So 87% say they are more interested. That's out of a sample size of 278. Oh, 278 is pretty good then. That's that's a good Twitter number. I mean, I I will definitely say I'm more interested. Like, like, like we've talked before, for someone who podcasts about wrestling, I watch an incredibly little amount of wrestling content on a weekly basis. And so it's fun to, you know, have something that makes you excited again. And so this viral infection is 
fascinating for so many reasons. So, yeah, I don't, a, the people. You would think, like, this has never happened in wrestling history that I'm aware of. Like, where I, I, obviously there's the liver, elevated liver enzymes things, everything that everybody's talking about. I think from what was a Great American Bash 2006 where Kali got pulled out of the Punjabi prison match and Big Show replaced him. I think somebody else had elevated liver enzymes that had to be pulled. Not just well. somebody else, like eight other people. Bobby oh, Lashley, really? Shane Helms, Super Crazy. Like, there was a bunch oh, really? of guys. Okay. Yeah. Why, like it why wasn't... all of them at the same time? Well, I think at the time it was thought that it was some kind of <laughs> – it's actually um, – I think uh, – and then Mark Henry also had been injured, so he was pulled at the same time. Lashley, Collie, and Super Crazy were all pulled uh, for for things. I don't think Mark Henry's injuries was that. Um, why were they all pulled? I don't know. I think it was some kind of drug testing, obviously, that was going on at some time, right? So some kind of blood work that that came up and – We'd have to see where Great American Bash was held, so maybe that actually speaks to the, uh, you know, the which state it was in, and whether there was some regulation about that for getting a thing. It was held in Indiana that year, which I can't think of in, whether Indiana had some kind of crazy um, booking committee. Not that I'm aware of off the top of my head, but they might. Who knows? Uh, yeah, but, um, but at least for, who knows what that was? Maybe it was drug testing, whatever. But I mean, you would think. Something like this would have happened in, in, in earlier wrestling history if this was gonna happen. I guess like people are just. Well, I mean, it's, it's a staph infection. Yeah, but, but there's, yeah, we've there's seen no staph even, infection. Are, are there, I, I mean, like I know Samoa. I remember hearing a story about like Samoa Joe having to cancel bookings because of a staph infection years ago when he was on the Indies or something like that. But well, like, and there was just a UFC fighter who fought with a really bad staph infection that right, people right. were kind of incredulous about. I mean, part of this is a a lot of times when guys get sick like this, they don't get booked in big programs. Right. So we might not know that somebody comes down with something really bad. They just go off the road for a while. And I can think of low card guys that have gotten really sick and then been gone for a while. You know, I remember one time Dennis Knight got really, really sick and then like road dog in the middle of a promo just like gave him a shout out. And so, you know, there, there are cases like that where somebody will just get so sick that they can't perform. And we've seen food poisoning or other stuff happen to people. Now, viral meningitis or mumps, that's less common. And some of these you, you would think the guys would be inoculated for. One thing I was looking at really quickly was were any of these guys people that went to India or China? Because that's one uh, side effect that I think we sometimes overlook when we talk about WWE going around the world to all these places. India is where William Regal almost died and lost his career because he got so sick after his trip to India. So, I mean, there have been guys that have begun really, really ill. But I don't you think know, any of these people have gone to India lately. No, they haven't as far as I can tell. So, like, that 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 storyline doesn't work quite. But if you're asking for examples like we know that what, like the, Within this year, I've heard of the New Day going to Mumbai. And obviously, Triple H and, and a few other executives went to India recently. Jinder went to India recently. But that's all I'm aware of. And of course, WWE had an event in India. Was it in in January of this year? Or January of last year? January of January last year? Of I think 2016. Yeah, yeah. And and guys are going to South America. Guys are going all around the world here. And you have to assume being on so many airplanes with people that does raise your risk of you know a possible infection, um, especially when you're going internationally. Now, guys do get sh tons and tons of shots to go on these tours. You know, if you remember the whole story of Luke Gallows wrestling uh, the Great Power Udi. Um, oh, yeah. He talks about basically one of the reasons he decided to take bookings in Nigeria, Nigeria, a place where meningitis is actually still a big issue, um, 
was because he had all his shots from his time on SmackDown. And so he was still good to go and travel. And I remember when I was going overseas, you know, I had to get a lot of stuff that you have to make sure you get. And, you know, things like malaria, it's something you can get in as a blood disease. I've had malaria, you know, really? it's something that, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, How it's something that? you're. Um, getting a staph infection was worse. (laughs) I, I have, I've had some legendary cellulitis in my face. That's also very, very unpleasant. Um, but yeah, no, I've had malaria a few times and it's, it's not fun, (laughs) but you want to get it treated. But I just mean like, there's no cure for a lot of that stuff. Like you can't, you, you can take medicine and sometimes the medicine will, will stop it. And sometimes if you get enough of it, a dose, you're going to be sick. But if you're only visiting for a very short period of time, you're less likely. Meningitis is the one that I've always, you know, heard as much more of a big risk uh, for people. And of course, when you go to college, that's something that they talk a lot about getting, you know, a meningitis shot for. So it is surprising that these guys somehow, you know, kind of all seem to be coming down. And then the the people involved, Bray and Jojo, it's open knowledge that that was the rumor of why Bray was getting a divorce was that he and Jojo were having an affair. Um, that that's been reported very broadly. So I don't feel like I'm, you know, breaking confidences to say that Bo Dallas is Bray's brother. Um, interesting, but you know, again, they're both on the same brand now. So I, I don't think anyone's that shocked that two people that probably even travel together might have this sort of situation happen. Uh, Roman Reigns though, I think is a big surprise for us, right? Well, I don't know. Does, does Reigns travel with Bray a lot? It's plausible. It's plausible. I, I think it's more – it's just interesting that it's just Roman out of all these guys here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that could possibly be affected by it. And it just could be – you know, that's the freak nature of when are you taking flights and who are you sitting with and everything else. Or sharing and we don't even cars with. Yeah. Do we even know if Roman is ill or if they're just taking him off as a precaution? I would think he's ill if they're taking Rowan Reigns off the card or if he's at least well, or at least they believe he could be contagious to others. That's my point is it, it could be, you know, is this an Apollo 13 situation where, you know, Kevin Bacon's left off the rocket and turns out to be OK or, you know, what what's happening with it? But it is a big deal, of course, to take Reigns off. I think it's fascinating that, you know, they've been able to adjust in such ways. Because I, uh, I've by, been reading I'm by no means a medical professional, but I read a little bit about meningitis on the CDC website and. It sounds like you can be a carrier for meningitis, but not exhibit any of the symptoms. Exactly. And so that's why I say I don't know if Roman is ill as much as he is contagious, because what often happens in those kind of situations is, you know, I remember there was a flight really famously where, you know, somebody had one of these really bad, you know, infectious diseases and they had to basically, you know, track down everybody who's ever had one of these flights and places like India um, and China. Um, more India I've heard about, you know, they, they, they do have a lot of carriers for these kind of infectious diseases. And so I think there's a, that's one danger that, you know, you create a risk tolerance for when you start saying, we're going to start promoting more events there and there for a talent. But I'm shocked this has not happened more. Just all the flights, all the interactions people have just that, you know, that we haven't seen more and more guys become infectious disease carriers and then spread it to the entire roster. Cause you know, just that weird spoken hub model that they have, you'd think that it would just shoot through the entire force. And of course we've heard of that with like staff infections where, you know, it's a bad mat and then, you know, in wrestling camps, then all these guys end up with staff infections and you have to kind of institute new policies to be like, we have to make sure that there's no blood and goo all over the place here. I guess one reason why this maybe hasn't happened in in prior wrestling history is the guys are traveling at a, at a higher rate or pace than usual i guess like they're going to this country and then boom right back to that country maybe in in previous eras of wrestling or like the territory eras you would go to a place then stay there for 
months and then go to another place and so forth. Whereas now it's bang, 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 bang. And of course, we don't know if any of these infections came on the tour, right? Who's to say, uh, hypothetically, Jojo doesn't go, you know, to the Caribbean on a holiday and come back and she's infected because of that. And that's how it begins the transmission process, having nothing to do with all this other stuff. So it's it's hard to say, but it's 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 a little surprising to me that I, we can't think of another example of this happening in the past. And maybe it is just the more international global nature of travel. But it's it's fascinating to see how they then, you know, adapted, bring AJ Styles leaves the um the South American tour. And what it says stomach problems. What was that about? I guess AJ Styles was sick. Uh this apparently isn't related to viral meningitis because they've, I've heard that it's only the Raw roster. It's not SmackDown, right? I mean, they wouldn't be booking AJ Styles, hopefully, on uh, on the pay-per-view to replace Bray Wyatt if he was contagious or something. So yep. he and was, then he Kevin was sent Owens. Home. Yeah, he, so he was yeah, sent Ke- home from the, that, that South American tour, and so was Kevin Owens. But uh, Kevin Owens tweeted that he's not sick, he's not hurt, and he just needed to be with his family. So Yeah, it just – and of course – wrestling media spotlight just you create all these storylines and you say is it about this or that but you know you, you just got to figure it's the next walk out uh, yeah. no i don't and i don't think it's that sort of situation i you know it again when you're putting guys on the road as much as you are you're putting an enormous strain on your family and your friends and just you know even getting time off for a wedding or time off when a when a parent dies or whatever's happening yeah. it's it's tough and then if you add in the the kind of unpredictable nature of things. It's really tough. So I'm not surprised that, you know, someone would have to leave, especially something like the South Af- South American tour. But it's really unfortunate, you know, for the fans in South America. And so it was really interesting to see WWE scrambling to kind of fill in the, the roster hole by sending Triple H down to, was it Chile? That's news to me. Did that happen? Yeah, you didn't hear about that? Yeah, Triple H is wrestling. No. Oh, I thought you I thought you knew about that. Yeah. Triple H, um, let's see if I can find the actual tweet here. Yeah. The WWE sent uh, uh Triple H down to uh South America because he, he uh I believe so. Let's see if I can find it here. Um now now you're 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 challenging me here. Yep. Landed in San Santiago, stunning beautiful view of the city. Visit here is short. It's almost time to play the game. Triple H in Chile. Yeah. So he uh it's they not they, they match yet. <laughs> uh it was only three hours ago he tweeted that, so I don't think he's wrestled yet. Oh, so okay. it'll be later today. Oh. But yeah, he um WWE uh made the decision that they needed to bring him in because I, I guess, you know, they'd lost AJ, they'd lost Kevin Owens. And uh, that, you know, it significantly impacted their ability to have those cards. And as we talked about when we talked about how did Brazil draw, um, you know, number of shows ago, sometimes these shows can be very variable in how they're drawing. And if you don't stack it with some talent, you you do very much risk. In addition, uh, some of these shows, they promote themselves. Sometimes they also kind of go through local promoters. And so there's that element, too, where, you know, WWE might not take the bath, but if the local promoter takes the bath, there's a big risk for them that, you know, they don't want to work with them in the future. You don't want to break that relationship. Do you you think it was uh, maybe suggested to Triple H that he take the spot that Kurt Angle takes, but then he said, no, that wouldn't be good for my character? I have no idea. I mean, now now we're really, you know, playing things out uh, in, in a huge... Now we're fantasy booking. Yeah, well, no, I just mean, like... Understanding why is Kurt Angle the guy that decided to tap 
Kurt Angle has been giving indications for several weeks here that he is, you know, getting medically cleared to wrestle, that he's been told he could wrestle. And at the same time was giving kind of the the other message of WWE said that I can't be a full time wrestler. WWE wants me back as this kind of a talent, you know. Yeah. So it, it's interesting. I, he's expressed I think, many times that he wants to wrestle, but WWE seems to be hesitant to let him wrestle. But And I, th- I think it's the right choice to go with um, Kurt Angle over Triple H. I think Triple H, A, would not make any sense in the angle, you know, being part of that, really, without creating, you know, a thousand other storylines. And B, um, it, it just – it's not a draw like it's as it's not that exciting having triple h come back because we see him once or twice a year already wrestling mm-hmm. kurt angle coming back is actually a big deal right because yeah he, he hasn't had a match in WWE since what 2006 yeah and i i you know i say i could probably take that ticket i have there i bet you it would go for some good money now is that i think people really would i i do feel like there's a buzz in the city here about this event now that this is happening yeah it's so. yeah, like I, I think most fans. I know my my Twitter poll may be very biased, but I, I think most fans at large are more interested. And it, uh, I think it speaks to. I kind of made a joke on this about Twitter, but I think it speaks to AJ Styles and Finn Balor is a better example of this. But it speaks to how when you don't do storylines, or when you do storylines in WWE the way that they do it, it, it hurts the, the the matches oftentimes more than it builds them up and makes me want to or makes fans want to see it see it more i think the, the idea of a, of a finn balor match and a, a finn balor versus aj styles match is more appealing to me than i think that if than if they built it up for four weeks however they would have built it up with scripted promos and whatnot um and i to think, a degree to a degree i i think you know i think this builds to to the shield reunion has been weird like with the, the, the whole five on three thing and and why why wouldn't five heels just 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 destroy these guys but they but they can't you know obviously the shield is going to go over or at least that was that must have been the plan right to have the shield go over because the shield's not going to lose the reunion match yeah but i mean at, at the same time i would say that the samoa joe brock stuff was pretty good yeah. And, oh, yeah. I'm you not know, saying they booked, everything. They booked a good angle there. Yeah. And so I think we all agree, though, that Bray Wyatt is easily in the running for worst feuds of the year between what he's done with Randy oh. Orton and just the stupidity that with with Finn Balor. Mm-hmm. It has been bad feud after bad feud after bad feud. I mean, he needs to go back to SmackDown and um, feud with Jinder just to finish the trifecta at this point. Mm-hmm. So, I, so. I, I made the joke half facetiously that WWE should – do more pay-per-view matches that don't have a build, you know? And I, I, I just think that half facetiously, like there's, I think there, we'll see tonight, we're recording this on Sunday morning, we'll see tonight, but I, it almost forces them to have a, a more, more of a sports build, which I think at least some of the fan base, uh, that would connect with some of the fan base. But uh, sure. as our, our friend Vinny Massaro I mean, said, yeah, I was going to say, I like Vinny's, to, Vinny's uh, quote. How are they going to fill two, three hours on Monday and Tuesday? And I, I suggested very reasonably that, to fill those hours, they should merely have, as you've suggested many times, they should have Vince McMahon sit by a fireplace with a bottle of scotch, and then with your outstanding interview skills, I think you should be the one to interview him. I, I preferred Vinny's quote about viral meningitis for Booker of the Year. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. And that's the truth. You know, I, I got a text today from um, Snakes McGee. Uh, indeed, Wrestling Weekly fans might remember him from the 2006 Rumble episode which is all of one of you who would listen to the show back in the day. Um, but a snakes even was talking to me about this paper. He was excited. So it's amazing how, you know, when something clicks, it clicks. 
you know, you can't always plan ahead of time. Hey, this is going to be big. But like we talked about with CM Punk or other stuff, when your share of voice is disproportional, Kurt Angle's one of those guys. Kurt Angle's good about getting extra publicity. Yeah, um, and I think in WWE, so much of the excitement is hurt by the micromanaging that it's, that's instilled from Vince McMahon. So that when something like this happens, that's an uncontrolled event, like a disease, he loses a, some grip on that uh, on that control, and that makes things feel more wild and authentic. Yeah, it's it's interesting that it's it's different than the the normal criticism, which is they're not booking long term; they're booking week to week, and they're changing their plans all the time. Versus this is the they're throwing a curveball and they're reacting to the curveball. And I do think they do better when that happens. That like people get elevated in a way that is unusual and unexpected, right. and that can be really exciting for the fans because you don't feel like it's a um, a choreographed build that doesn't necessarily respond to what the fans want it's almost the opposite right so instead of saying roman is the chosen one regardless of how you respond i'm going to make him the chosen one it's saying i have to do something different now the fans are are giving me feedback immediately on how excited they are on this oh my gosh i'm making a good choice and i think his mentality is when you can't deliver something that you promised in, in a case like this that you have to over deliver to to make up for it. And I think and I think that we saw that in in the title change between Kalisto and, and Enzo Amore. And I think they've done things like this in the past, where like someone gets injured, or, or in the case of Neville, someone walks out, and now well we can't do our original plan, so let's just do a title change because I I, I think the Vince mentality is that that um that'll that'll really get people excited, even though in my view title changes mean less because they happen so often. Sure, sure. But I, I think there's something to that, which is we don't always give Vince credit that he does believe in over-delivering right. more than under-delivering. Yeah. And, and that, that's there's my been point, a lot of that criticisms look, look, that, you know... He's, he's booked this S.H.I.E.L.D. reunion, which is purportedly a pretty big deal, and now you can't deliver that S.H.I.E.L.D. reunion. And now he's like, well, I got to give him something really big now to, to make up for that, and let's have Kurt Angle have his first match back. Exactly. I mean, there there is that element where they've complained that house show advertising sometimes you know they know a guy is not going to be around and yet they continue to use the name you know when Cena's is going away or he's been injured or something like that but you i i do believe that a lot of times i i think they could have gotten away with not replacing it with kurt angle and even taking the bray wyatt finn balor match off and just filling those time and yeah it would have probably been a struggle to fill all of that but i think they could have done it Versus they decided to invest in it. And, you know, the TLC pay-per-view for all it is is not, you know, a A caliber pay-per-view normally. So I, I just found it really fascinating that they did invest in it. So you you, you bring up exactly the right points. Um, before we get uh, too deep here, was there anything else you wanted to say on that subject? Or can we uh, jump around to some of the other That's news good. and reviews? That's good. I would like to uh, give the answer. You know, this is about the point in the show I stuck the trivia contest in last week. So uh, I just want to kind of give the answer of uh, the challenge to the everyone was how many people were contracted on the WWF roster in 1998. And when I talked to you later that week, you told me you thought you said WCW. Yeah. So uh, it, it, it turns out I had not been listening to you closely enough. My mind had been wandering somewhere. I think I, 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 the, the question you asked me was what again? I think it was how many contracted people were there in 1998 on the WWF roster. I think no, that's no, no, what no, I that, wanted that's, to ask. That's the, that's the reason. You, you asked me what year were the most – do you think the most people were contracted by WWE? I think that was the question, right? Yes. And I'm, I, I don't know. I'm, 
because I, I, I wear so many hats here, I must have been distracted as I was producing Russell Onyx or something like that. But anyway, I I think I thought you were asking about WCW or something. and my, So that's why I answered 1998. I had given you some WCW numbers by saying, oh, they signed a deal with Trim Fast and they listed this many people in 97 and this many in 98. So I think I had primed the pump that way. Yes, so I was, I was distracted successfully. Yeah, so um, – in the end, I got a, a number of entries. Thank you, everyone who entered the contest. Uh, we do have a winner for the contest. But first, I just want to talk a little bit about what did I learn. So, A, I don't have an actual contracted number from WWF. And uh, I did not reach out to them and ask for one because I, I knew that would be pointless. But I did have a pretty good idea of, you know, which pet talent you can kind of assume was contracted. And then there's a couple of people that are vague, but generally it was close enough that I can say that there was a winner. So first of all, you have the guys that were, this is 1998 we're focused on. So I said, who was employed in 97, employed in 98, employed in 99 people that, you know, you would say, yes, they had a contract with this company. And so Top of that list, you have The Rock, you have Billy Gunn, you have Road Dog, you have Ken Shamrock, you have D'Lo, you have Mick Foley, you have Owen Hart, you have Dustin Rhodes, who of course at the time was going by Gold Dust, the artist formerly known as Gold Dust, Dustin Reynolds, you have Austin, uh, Steve Austin, you have Skull and Eight Ball, you have The Undertaker, you have Farouk, you have Brian Christopher, who also goes by Grandmaster Sexy, you have Scotty Tuhati, who's also Scott Taylor, you have The Headbangers, Mosh and Thrasher, you have JBL, who at the time is you know going through different names, Blackjack Bradshaw, Bradshaw. Justin Bradshaw. You have Triple H, who's at still Hunter Hearst Helmsley for some of that time. You have The Godfather, who's finishing up his Kama and Kama Mustafa personalities. You have Dennis Knight, who's both Midian and Phineas Godwin. You have China. You have Bob Holly. You have Paul Bearer. You have Kane. You have Jeff Jarrett. You have Steve Blackman and Taka. You have Flash Funk, who's also Scorpio. You have Kurgan. You have Sable. You have Mark Henry. You have Tiger Ali Singh. You have uh, Miguel. Perez, and then you have a couple of the minis. You have like uh, El Torito, the original El Torito. You have Max Mini. You have Nova, who's uh, Mascarita, um, uh, Mascarita Sagrada. You have Shawn Michaels. You have Jerry Lawler. So that's about 39 people. I know I said a lot of names there, but there's really only about 30-ish people, 39-ish people that you could say were wrestling for WWE all three of those years a lot. Then you have the people that basically finished up in 98. So they were wrestling in 97, and then they kind of disappeared in 98. So you have Mark Marrow, you have Vader, you have Mark Canterbury, who's Henry Godwin, and he hurt his neck around this time and kind of left and then eventually, of course, comes back right when Ray Gordy is starting again. Um, you have Chains. You have Bull Buchanan, who actually got sent to OVW the next year. So it's you could argue maybe he was under contract, or he wasn't under contract, but he definitely was for a period of time in 98 under contract. Uh, you have Ahmed Johnson, who I forgot was in the company still in 98, but he's actually in the Royal Rumble for uh, at 98, and then he's on Raw the next night. So he, he was clearly contracted for a period of 1998. You have Savio Vega. You have the Road Warriors, Animal and Hawk. You have Terry Funk, a.k.a. Chainsaw Charlie. Um, you have Bart Gunn, who's, uh, uh, you know, of course, doing all the Brawl for All stuff. You have Tom Brandy. A lot of people might remember him as Salvatore Sincere, and uh, I think he was like Tommy Gunn or something on in WCW back in the day. What were you going to say about Bart Gunn? Bodacious Bob, or was it Bombastic Bob and Bodacious Bart? That's right. He also had his NWA gimmick, yes, with uh, uh, Bob Holly. The new um, Midnight Express, yeah. You have uh, Jesus Castillo, uh, who's also, uh, or Jesus Castillo, probably how we should say it, Hurricane Castillo, who um, was, again, one of the, the Los Boriocas, I can't even say their name right, um, group. You have Los Barry Barricos. Windham. 
Los Buicas, thank you. Um, you have Barry Windham, Blackjack Windham in 98. And I've been going through all the 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 Wrestle Observer Hall of Fame voting. And I realized, I think it was 98, that they put Barry Windham on the, the ballot and he fell off because he got less than 10%. And I don't think you could have chosen a worse year to like look at Barry Windham's career at that point than in 1998 when he's just, you know, flailing in the end of, of 97 to 98 in WWF. Yeah, I really um, think that the age limit should be way higher, but that's another story. Uh, Jose Estrada, um, Sonny, of course, was in WWE. Uh, uh, Tarantula, who was a midi mankind. A lot of people might remember him as uh, the Jackal Don Callis. Mosaic, who's another mini. And Brackus, who uh, did, you know, obviously the talent exchange in ECW for a little while and was uh, Acom Albright and it showed up in Brawl for All and did a couple matches in 98. So that's bringing you another 20 people. Who were employed from ninety seven to ninety eight, from ninety eight to ninety nine. I know this is the, the this is the compelling WrestleNomics Radio where I just read a list of things, but uh, I, I think it's kind of fun to like remember all these guys. Ninety eight to ninety nine, you have X Pac, who of course makes his big re debut in WWF after being fired from WCW. You have Val Venus, Sean Morley, who uh, eventually shows up on Super Los Super Astros, or even a few times speaking Spanish. Uh, Draws, Gangrel, Jacqueline. Al Snow, Christian, Big Boss Man, Deborah, Test, Shane McMahon. You have John Tenta coming back, of course, as Golga. Um, you have Luna. You have Edge. You have the Hardys. You have S.A. Rios. You have Shofunaki. You have Dan Severn. You have Dwayne Gill as Gilbert. You have Vince McMahon. You have Pat Patterson. You have Gerald Briscoe. You have Sean Stasiak and Blue Meanie. Now, you can argue a lot of these people, like, were they contracted before 98? Yeah, I think the Hardy Boys might have had a contract before 1998. Um, you know, a guy like Dwayne Gill, um, he's been doing jobs for WWE for years and years and years, but he probably didn't have an actual full-time contract with them until they were doing the Gold- Gilberg, mm-hmm. you know, thing. And, and he was doing Job Squad. Uh, yeah, he's a jackal. Mm. Oh, gotcha, yeah. Uh, so the names I just listed there, that goes from 60 to 84. So that's 24 more guys uh, that show up. And then you have the people that just show up in 1998. So these are people that kind of were in the company for a very short period of time. Um, um, that's Carl Lett, um, a.k.a. Pierre from the uh, uh, the Quebecers. Um, he goes to developmental and eventually shows up in all Japan. You have Jacques Rougeau. Uh, Jacques, who, again, very similarly, he shows up in WCW. They actually reunite for a little bit in WCW. You have Tennessee Lee, Robert Fuller. You have Yamaguchi-san, um, Wally Yamaguchi, who I think is the co-commentator now with Funaki when they do the Japanese commentary. I think he is, yeah. Yeah. You have um, Giant Silva. So, of course, you had both Kurgan and Giant Silva back in the day. Uh, but you had Giant Silver, Silva, you had Dick Togo and Men's Teo uh, when Kai and Tai was, you know, the the foursome or the – it was really the trio because Taka usually actually wasn't with them during that. You have James E. Cornette. Um, you have Paul er- Ellering, of course, during the Road Warriors reunion. Uh, you have Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson. And then you have Man's Man, Stephen Regal, William Regal. So there's about another – 11 guys there that kind of were on camera a lot during that time. I, I could that see were, Ricky Warren and Robert Gibson not being under contract. Yeah, that, that one gets a little funny. You know, again, you can add or subtract a few names here. Um, I talked to some people about Los Super Astros just to figure out, you know, were these guys under contract or not? And you have like Battalion, who's Perita, Mor- Perita Morgan. You have, uh, oh, I can't even say this next one, El Marinjanero. <laughs> Uh, another guy guru yeah yeah i I can get that one wow yeah armando uh 
Fernandez and uh, Julio Sanchez, who eventually then did some ECW job work too. Um, kind of they contracted them out. My understanding, those guys were under contract, whereas guys like um, there was a couple other guys like uh, Negro Casas and El Helio de Santo and Apollo Dantes, who probably weren't under contract. Of course, Victor um, Quinanez in Puerto Rico played a big role in getting a lot of these guys into WWF. And you have some guys that were clearly, you know, they were contracted like the minis and they were with WWF for a long time. And then you have a couple guys like El Helio de Santo, who I believe they wanted to demask. And he was not interested in doing that at all. They and just kind of turned them down. Mask off? They did. And so that relationship, like many relationships with uh, Helio de Santo did not go well. And so he, he only did a couple of the super Astros tapings and then disappeared. So he probably never had a contract with them. He was probably just paid per date. Uh, you have Shaggy Too Dope and Violent J. Um, they would sometimes do stuff with the oddities again, like the misfits. Do I think they actually had a contract or do I think they were just paid per appearance? They probably were paid per appearance in my opinion. Um, or even worked for free because, you know, they're such big wrestling fans. They thought it was good publicity for them. Uh, you had Brooklyn brawler who obviously was backstage and did stuff, but I don't know if he really was contracted. Same with honky tonk man did a couple appearances. Rikishi leaves the company as the Sultan. And then of course comes back as Rikishi like the next year, but he's, pretty much gone for that whole year in between there. So again, I don't know whether he was contracted or not. And then Mabel slash Viscera, this is right in the middle of his contract status. Like he, he finished and then he does like a one-time only appearance in 98 and then he comes back. So, um, I probably have all his contracts, right? For Viscera? (laughs) Uh, for Viscera I do. Yeah. Yeah. So I can count at least a hundred people that were probably contracted and you can knock off a couple and you can probably add it back in a couple. Patterson Briscoe had performer contracts. Well, I wouldn't have said so if it wasn't for the fact that they started using them so much on a weekly basis, mm-hmm. you know. And again, I was yeah, really they open-ended. Kind of fall I, into that Brooklyn Brooklyn Brawler category, but they were on TV so much. They were, and they did pay-per-view matches even. Right. And that's really where I always kind of draw the line is to say if you're doing a pay-per-view match, there's probably a piece of paper between you and the company about what's happening mm-hmm. um, with the royalties from that. Because otherwise, you know, that's that's a pretty big segment to kind of ignore unless you're an extra so, um, so I, I would say you had to guess a number over a hundred to get close here and you could argue with me on a couple of these, but I bet you, you're going to always lend north of a hundred. So, uh, the winner is, uh, Michael Altman and, uh, Michael, I'll be contacting you and, uh, you'll be getting, uh, getting some information that you can pass on to the publisher of Chris Jericho's book, which is just no, is, is just a four letter word. It's his, uh, self-help book all about, uh, how Fozzie is really cool. So I'll pass that. I'll pass that on to the uh, people at the Fozzie Publisher, and uh, hopefully they will get you a copy of that book. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's the end of that little contest there. And and I apologize if anyone does not enjoy me just sitting here and reading lists, but uh, I, I always find it interesting to kind of look back and say, wow, what was a hundred different people doing in the company? And then just those different eras kind of passing in the night, like who left in '98, guys like Vader, and then who joined in '98, guys like Big Boss Man and Val Venus. So, and test. So there you have it. What are we going to talk about now? You want to talk about maybe Powerbomb? And, uh, sure. Yeah. yeah. What's happening with Powerbomb? You know, uh, we, we like to talk about OTT services like Flow Slam, but we don't always give praise to the ones that are actually still operating. Yeah. So I was, I was talking to somebody last night just to do my usual uh, oration of the, of the wrestling business. So that Flow Slam, by the way, you can, you can still sign up and you can still pay uh, – 
what is it, one hundred fifty dollars for a year or thirty dollars for a month? I, I guess you would get access to everything in Flow Sports, but they're still taking uh, subscriptions, even though you there are no more future events. There is some VOD because I, I, I still have a, a subscription. I haven't bothered to go try to talk to their customer service about giving me a prorated refund, but you can still go. I was going to ask if, if anyone, and please, if anyone has contact us at uh wrestlenomics at gmail.com on, on Twitter at wrestlenomics, tell us if you've been successful in getting any kind of response from flow slam. I've heard flow stories that people have gotten refunds. I, I'm really curious about that. So any, anything, any uh, details you can shed? We, I'd love to hear more. Yeah. But I think flow sports had maybe a, uh, too big of an appetite their eyes were bigger than their than their stomach as far as pro wrestling streaming and it looks like maybe powerbomb tv was the appropriate scale to try to monetize i don't know in, independent wrestling streaming or v- video on demand um, but anyway the story is powerbomb.tv and smartmark video which smartmark video is, is basically a, a video distributor that sells a lot of vod and has sold dvds for a long long time going back to what i would call like the uh this, the start of the current era of independent wrestling that started in the early 2000s or so. But they, but they yeah, been, they, I, they've they, been around for years and years, yeah. But they've been, yeah, they've been selling independent uh, wrestling video for many years. And they've, uh, they announced that they put out a press release and they announced that they're going into a partnership with Powerbomb.tv and that's going to start on November 1st. And the long and short of it is there's going to be uh, AIW's Absolute Intense Wrestling out of Cleveland, Alpha One out of Hamilton, Ontario, that's Ethan Page's promotion, and IWA Mid-South are going to be available at least on VOD via Powerbomb.tv. And that's just part of your Powerbomb.tv subscription. That's $10 a month. There's not going to be any change to the price point. Um, AIW went on their their Facebook page, and they're they're providing this promo code, and I haven't looked into it, but I'm guessing the others are as well. But they they put out this promo code. If you use the promo code, they say the powerbomb.tv is going to give them a kickback for any subscriptions that roll over into being paid subs for part of that. And then the story that I had heard, uh, I believe it was in December when I did an article called the, The Turbulent Year of 2017, sort of looking at things that were to come as far as the WWE Network, Flow Slam, and Powerbomb.tv. Um, but power, I, I believe Powerbomb.tv is compensating their partners based on how many views their content is getting. Uh, so they told me uh, last year, late last year. So, yeah, I, I just think and, it's, it's maybe the uh, rather than doing a t- TV rights-style deal like Flow Slam did with uh, evolve and then having to make that guaranteed money back and try to make a profit based on that, that this is probably a safer and uh, more productive approach to, to doing business with independent wrestling video. Yeah, I, I know Smart Mark just kind of looking at my email here about, you know, when do I first see references to it? I see references back in the, um, you know, 2009 and earlier from they did a lot of the IWA stuff. Uh, Mid-South and Deep-South and all the other little ones. So I think a lot of people are curious about that, about, you know, IWA Mid-South ha- is a gem when it comes to who went through them at some point. Like if you're an independent wrestler that that toured the country yeah. in the mid-2000s, there's a very good chance that you did a match in IWA Mid-South at some point. And of course, there's the bigger names, you know, the Chris Heroes and the CM Punks and whatnot that actually got a lot of footage and a lot of breaks from that and you know the legends like the the necro butcher type stuff that you know really built their 
reputation, but I mean, you'll, you'll go and you'll see Brody Lee showing up there for one match one time or Colin Delaney, you know, driving halfway across the country just to do one match with Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, I'm sure. I, and I think if you want to see a, uh, an hour long and a 90 minute long Chris Hero versus CM Punk match from 2003, those are, I'm sure those are still in their libraries. Yeah. And as some people said, like that stuff is on YouTube. And so you can find that stuff, at least right now. Like, it's going to be really interesting to see some of the weirder stuff that, you know, might finally be available on digital demand for people that you would never think, hey, I'm going to go spend $3.99 or $10.99 or whatever the cost of getting the stuff burned and sent to me is. But will be really fun to see digitized and, and go through. So if you're a big American kickboxer fan, you know, this is this is huge news for you. And, and, and it looks like, we'll just go back to Flow Slam again, it looks like Flow Slam is, is basically thrown in the towel. I think they had... They had IPW UK as one of their last partners, and they had a, an event scheduled for, I believe, the 19th of this month, and that, that didn't happen. There was no broadcast there. They were supposed to broadcast a WXW tag team tournament, and I got the story in The Observer is that WXW uh, contacted Flow Slam with some questions in advance of the event, and Flow Slam like, responded by saying that they weren't going to broadcast the, the show after all. So it looks, like, it looks like they're all done. Even, and, even and, though, and the weird thing is, like I said, you can still go in there, and if you didn't know any better, and if you didn't, you know, look around, you could still sign up for this as if you're going to see all this wrestling content. And now you can still get all the the video library stuff. Like I guess if you wanted to watch a bunch of Evolve stuff, you can still do that. Uh, it reminds me of slam, you know, you pre- know, previous we, stuff. With our podcast, we can get look at, look at analytics of who listened to what episode when, right? And so it's funny when I go back and I'll I'll look for an episode that's you know years old, and you'll see that like two people listened to it. Now, of course, who knows why two hits got done? It was probably just some robot search engine. But I kind of feel like that's what it's like for people signing up today, which is um, you'd have to be a little bit out of the loop to be signing up on flow slam and not you know to care enough to sign up for flow slam but not understand what's happening with the company right now yeah. um because especially if they only ever had what was it two thousand right people that's that they thought heard. that's what we heard yeah. from a big so, article it was about two thousand so, and they had goals yeah. of fifty thousand yeah so i mean if if you take it and say this podcast i will tell you gets more than two thousand listens per episode even when i was barely doing this podcast i would get more than two thousand listens per episode um and so you know to get those one-off things it's very rare but it still happens so it'll be really interesting i'm excited that powerbomb is getting a roku app going that's right. um getting that going might make the difference of me reactivating my powerbomb subscription yeah. so I, and, and I think that's the point we made a couple times like that's that's the big bridge that still needs to be built is i need to be able to easily watch these things on my tv and when it comes to the WWE network i can do that because they have apps on game consoles they have apps on all these ott devices whether it's roku or apple tv but these sort of secondary you know independent things that are you know in the niche like even njpw world and powerbomb don't have apps yet for me to watch yeah, stuff on my TV easily. I know I can airplay it, but that's kind of a pain in the ass. And and this ties into what I've said for a while, which is it's tough to express to New Japan leadership how important that would be for the U.S. penetration in their marketplace. Yeah. And we don't know whether they get it or not. Like I had, I think we uh, erroneously made the statement that Wrestle Kingdom was doing travel packages for right. fans. And it sounds like, no, there was never any travel packages for fans that were actually built. There was the idea that maybe this would happen was my interview with Evan 
and and the question I had asked him about it, but it didn't actually say that, no, this is happening and we don't have any evidence that it's happening. So both for a correction side, uh, there is no J- New Japan Wrestle Kingdom packages that I'm aware of. And uh, that New Japan itself, you know, three steps forward, sometimes one and a half steps back in my mind that they, they do a lot of good stuff. But there are times when I think they could do better at breaking into the American marketplace. Yeah, they're, and they're, they it got could the be English that, commentary going for most of their big shows, which is a, is a good thing, which seemed to be a barrier for a lot of people, especially if you're new to Japanese wrestling, uh, which is obviously the, the, the casual market that they want to capture and, and turn to more hardcore fans. But yeah, the just the accessibility of this technology is still developing. Yeah. Um, while we're talking about New Japan, let's just quickly go through our New Japan notes. Uh, mm-hmm. Power Striker, Struggle, November 5th, uh, 5,000 advanced sellout. That's good news, right? Yeah, there's an intercontinental title match between Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi coming up at uh, the old Osaka Freets or Body Maker or whatever it's called now. The uh, the venue in Osaka that's always delivering a hot crowd, about 5,000 in attendance, about 5,000 capacity. And that's been sold out in advance. That's coming up, like you said, on November 5th uh, in a couple weeks here. And we expect a big announcement, according to George Carroll, the director of USA Operations for New Japan. A major announcement is coming, he said. Uh, and that's left some to speculate that, oh, maybe, maybe Shibata's going to come out and do an angle after the IC title match to set up a big match at Wrestle Kingdom with Tanahashi. But Joel Lanza went on the VOW, the Voices of Wrestling forum, and said that it's not related. I can confirm, Joe Lanza said. He's, he's often a newsbreaker. He said he, it is not related to Shibata. So my, my thinking is maybe it's they're going to announce new U.S. states. My thinking is it's a land, it's a line of Japanese candy uh, that has uh, Tanahashi's bicep on it. So well, maybe, maybe sponsored by uh, by Togi Makabe because you know, yeah. like, isn't Makabe like the big? Uh, he he's widely recognized in Japanese culture for like eating candy or something like that. You know Something that? like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've, I've heard Dave say that before when he talks about, you know, who is famous and not famous. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if it turns out to be one of these announcements that just isn't as a big deal as people want to think it is. But you're right. It was at least George Carroll, the director of U.S. operations, saying a big announcement was coming. Versus I, I if, if we hear it in Japan, we never know what that's going to mean. Yeah. Well, I think if it's coming from the U.S. operations side, whatever real infrastructure there is there. But it's, it's, my guess is. They're going to announce dates for March or April in the U.S. And there's, um, there's a little news that uh, Kenny Omega is going to be on the Super Card of Honor card, you know, on uh, WrestleMania weekend for Ring of Honor. So yeah, maybe, maybe I'm that's curious. Related. Who knows? And they're fighting uh, NXT that night, right? It's, uh, uh, it's shows that are scheduled on the same night, if I'm not mistaken. And they're, they're going head to head soon in San Antonio, too. And they, they decided to bring Shawn Michaels in to referee the uh, the main title match with Adam Cole and uh, whoever else it is. <laughs> and uh, Drew, Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre, thank you. The night before the NXT, you know, quote-unquote pay-per-view. Now, take, so that TakeOver was does not go head-to-head with Ring of Honor, with Ring of Honor, Supercard of Honor. TakeOver is going to be on Friday and Supercard of Honor is going to be on Saturday. But it, it will go head-to-head with the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. Okay. That makes sense. Um some TV news that I thought was really interesting that you had in the update here is that there's been some talk about WWE pitching both reality shows and then maybe even some UK-specific reality shows, uh, which were really interesting. So for reality show pitches, according to the PW Insider, they're saying maybe they would be a Ms. Maurice real-time show, kind of like Total Bellas, but starring Ms. and Maurice. And then um, 
there was also talk about doing kind of a find a new female star, a mashup of Total Divas and Tough Enough to make its own little, you know, some kind of reality show uh, that was a little bit more like a diva search. But of course, they don't want to call it diva search anymore. Uh, what were your thoughts on these kind of reality shows? Do you think this makes it this this deepens the relationship between WWE and NBC Universal? Because like, where where are these programs going to appear? Probably the E Network, right? I would think that the purpose of pitching those kind of shows would be for a wide audience, and it's not network specific enough that I could see a reason for them to invest in it for a network show. So, absolutely, this sounds like E content to me. Yeah. And come to think of it, like, does does just the existence of those programs, like Total Divas and Total Bellas, does that make it really hard? I think we want to talk later. You've got some notes in here about, well, would, would Fox or ESPN be willing to you know, entertain the idea of, of putting WWE on their network? Uh, do you foresee, when I, like, if, if, if WWE were to leave USA Network or were to not have Ron SmackDown on, on the USA Network or on any NBC Universal network, do you think they – what happens to, to Total Divas, Total Bellas, and maybe this new show? Do, does, that, does that get to stay on NBC Universal? Do you think they could even make a deal where those programs can stay w- within the NBC Universal family but Raw and SmackDown go elsewhere? Is that something that NBC Universal would even stand for? And if not, then what happens to those programs? And that's probably a, a decent chunk of, of TV revenue. Yeah, so That's a long-winded question. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's a great question. I, I was pulling up a um, an article I wrote a long time ago. It was uh, for what culture in. Uh, let's see if I can find the 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 publishing date for this article. Uh, March of 2014, so three years ago, I wrote this piece. And it was called uh, Analyzing the Five Networks WWE is Negotiating TV Rights With. And one part of when I was doing this article is I was talking basically about that exact issue, which is WWE programming is not Ron SmackDown. WWE programming is the bundle of shows that they make now, which includes Total Divas, includes now Total Bellas, included at the time things like Tough Enough. And um, the syndicated shows, you know, main event at the time or Saturday Morning Slam, which was also on the table back in the day. Mm. So and I also, as I pointed out, maybe even uh, WWE Studios, which is to say, wouldn't it be valuable in some ways to, um, you know, be able to redistribute your WWE Studios content through a partnership agreement with another network? Like if you remember, Miz did that Christmas movie. And it was like on the whole, uh, like on uh, TNT or something. Oh. On the Hallmark, Hallmark? I don't remember this at all. I, I think I remember him shooting a movie, maybe a Christmas movie. It was on the Hallmark yeah. Channel. You maybe it was Hallmark. USA. They even aired it on, but they did like a they did like a a Miz Christmas movie, and it was one of the very few profitable WWE Studios movie because essentially they had guaranteed rights for how much they were going to get paid to do this thing. So all they had to do was make the movie cost less than they're getting paid for it. And, you know, that's another example of the kind of content they could be working with a, a partner on on distributing. And so I, I believed for a while that, Christmas you know, bounty. yes, that's the one. So I, I just think that there's an opportunity there for them to look a little bit wider than just who wants my wrestling content. It did air so, on USA Network. OK, so if ESPN gets and, WWE. Well, sorry. And this is in 2012, though. Uh, yeah. Santa's Little Helper aired on the USA Network. And it stars The Miz, but The Miz was also in Christmas Bounty on the ABC Family movie around 2012. That's the one I'm thinking of, the ABC Family movie, yes. 
So my, my point here being that, you know, ESPN, yeah, they take WWE, but ESPN is part of a larger conglomerate. And so ABC would be getting some of this other things. And so when I looked at all these different networks on this 2014 article I was referencing, one of my focus was like, who has the broad spectrum of things where you can say, okay, um, Total Bellas, that's what I'm going to call euphemistically female or women's programming. Who has a network that associates with that? And so I remember at the time there was the Oprah network, the, um, you know, Oxygen and then I would say, who owned that? And I would look at those sort of things. So in order for it to work, a lot of times either I said, either you're just selling Raw on SmackDown and you're going to split the rights among many people, which is not the worst idea, or you need to have a broad spectrum of things. And of course, that was what the Viacom deal was promising them at the time. They went to TNN, but people might forget that Sunday Night Heat was on MT- was on MTV and they had other programming that was going on these other channels. And so it was meant to kind of support more than one thing. One of the reasons Tough Enough was successful in the beginning was because it was on MTV, you know, or at least the reruns were. So, I mean, there's there's times that that has really worked out for them. So, yeah. And obviously there's been points where SmackDown was on UPN and at the same time was on either TNN or Spike or or the USA Network. And none of those companies are – Raw was, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, Raw. And, and, and so those that, that that's an example of WWE having Raw and SmackDown on two different cable networks that are not in the same Come- family completely different strategies and i think that's something that gets overlooked a lot is that they are in a bundling strategy now where they take a network and then they just kind of run it in and they've gotten rid of all their syndicated programming the saturday morning slam and the main event and all the stuff that was airing on you know wgn america and other things that were unaffiliated with their core ion partner yeah or ion like all that stuff is gone versus they used to basically use a stratified strategy where they were saying, you know, we put SmackDown over here. We're reaching the over the air people that want to watch. And then we have Raw on this other network and they're not tied together. And so you're almost reaching different audiences with different viewing and opportunities there. And so maybe you could argue that the world has become flatter when it comes to some of this stuff and it's not a big of a deal. But I think it's a strategy shift by the company. And, of course, this also reflects um, – WWE used to make a load of their money on advertising, and when they went back to to NBC Universal after the the Viacom experiment, they basically gave up all of their advertising money, and so that also plays a role in how you interact with your different networks. Which is, if you're selling your own ads, you're happy to go to UPN because you can sell a bunch of. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16 ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca Cola, Pepsi, or 7 Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. 